All right, we got so much to get to here on the 15 and 60 mailbag for the Western Conference. But I will remind you first that support for today's show comes from Sonos. With Sonos Home Theater, feel like you're at the game with 5.1 surround sound. It plays music too, which I really enjoy. Hands-free control of your whole system with Sonos One, which blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, so you can use your voice to control music, podcasts, and more. I love how easy it is in the Sonos app to group rooms together. The sound on my TV, whether I'm watching games, I can hear the audio way better, hear the coaches yelling at the players. Watching a movie is an awesome experience. And whenever we have some of our friends over for a game night, if they want to put on music, all they have to do is get on our Wi-Fi with the Sonos app. They can control it from their phone as well. It's pretty awesome. The way to get started with them is at Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos today. That's S-O-N-O-S dot com. Okay, let's get right to it here. We'll get through some news as well in line with these teams. The Utah Jazz, where are they at fundamentally here? They are 30 and 24, 6 and 3 since the last 15 and 60, 8th in net rating at plus 3.8, 20th in offense, 2nd in defense, 538 projections for them, still strong based on the preseason expectations, 5th in wins at 49, and 98% chance of making the playoffs. All right. Let's- Put six minutes on the clock here for the Jazz. Wildly optimistic, as we were probably going to go over on a lot of these. Let's start with this one from Tom Ferris. And we have so many questions this week, too. Thank you so much for everyone who contributed this week. We're getting more and more questions. We love it with the interest in the deadline. Other trade deadline targets besides Conley for the Jazz, says Tom Ferris. Well, one that we already kind of know about due to prior reporting, and that makes sense, is Nikola Miritich. Miritich is somebody that the Jazz reportedly went after last year, but they just couldn't put together an offer as good as, apparently, what New Orleans is offering. They remember Chicago got a first-round pick in that, so that was probably a part of it. For me, if you're going into their 2019 cap space, it would take a player who is definitely an important part of their future. That's why Conley is in those conversations. Drew Holiday would be an obvious one. I don't think he's going to be in the market. That might come up in another question. I'm interested in potentially Aaron Gordon. I think Gordon, with his descending contract and the idea that maybe having the ball, you know, like having him need to do a little bit less, but more streamline what his offense approaches could be really beneficial for him. But I would be going more after that second playmaker spot. I think even if you want to give Donovan Mitchell the quote-unquote point guard spot, you still want somebody else who can create seams. And that is the hardest thing to find. So I would be going more after that, and then you can build the support pieces like, you know, like kind of what they did with Jay Crowder. You can get those after. Yeah, Zach Lowe wrote about this last week. His wish that Jay Crowder were a little bit better. And Jay is a below-average shooter, but probably a better defender than a lot of the guys that they're going to get. I think if they were to add Miritich and start him, that might make them take a step back defensively. What would happen with favors? I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear, Zach wrote about this too, that the favors-Gobert combination is not the way that this franchise is going to move forward. So they do need someone at that position. I mean, the problem is just there aren't that many guys who have been considered available at this point in time. Now, I do think that Maybe they would be a solid Danilo Gallinari destination if the Clippers were to go for getting double max space themselves this summer and their summer plans come to fruition. We'll see whether that, in fact, occurs or not. 
But yeah, I mean, I think Miritich is a good one. It's just a question of re-signing, potentially having to overpay him. And you talked about how this is the summer really to pay for guys because next summer is going to be so bad. Uh, that was a really good article you you wrote today, by the way. I, I just finished reading that before you came on. That was really good. Uh, on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash capspace. So, you know, Gordon to me is not an amazing fit. I mean, I think they really need a guy who can just bomb and space the floor. Like this team generates a ton of three-pointers and just doesn't make them well enough to be an elite offense. And so ideally you could add a Conley, uh, getting more shooting at the point guard position would help. Uh, but also so that stretch four uh, who really needs to be guarded quite a bit. Uh, I think we hit this one already from uh, Ali Kabanchian and Rob McIntyre also asking somewhat similar here, which you, you hit on already. This idea that Mitchell at point guard means that they shouldn't necessarily try to add Conley, but instead should prioritize forward depth. Number one, I think Conley, to me, he's the only guy available. Yeah, he costs a lot, but he's the best player available on the market who isn't a superstar, number one. I think that getting a forward is a little bit easier when you're not looking at that guy as a real star type of player, or you don't really need like a defensive and uh, three-point shooter at the four a defensive god what's wrong with me it's been, been too long here and while you could play Mitchell at point guard you still need one other guy which is I think you said too and Joe Ingles has been amazing in that role far better than anyone ever thought he could have been but he's getting at the age where he's going to decline as well he's really better served as a spot-up guy maybe as the second guy on your second unit not your number two overall playmaker so while I think Mitchell I'd love to just play him at point guard, but you still need one more guy. And generally that other guy is going to be a point guard and Conley you know, is just who is going to be available here. And so we'll see that gets us into this next question. Uh, does Exum pass the Nene test? And if so, how does that factor into trading for Conley asks, I am that Sam. I am a solid name. So for me, Dante Exum does not pass the Nene test. It makes about 9 million for this year and the following two I haven't seen it from Exum really on the offensive end. That's the most important thing for a guard. Even if he's more of a complimentary guy, can he create reliable shots for himself and others? Exum can at times. I still love his first step and his speed, but I just haven't seen it overall from him. And defensively, still a lot of potential there. I mean, you even go back to his rookie year, he can do it. But $9 million is a lot of money. You and I have discussed this with Markel Fultz's option that's coming up, the one that was already decided, and then his fourth year option is actually above $9 million for this coming October. And there may be your teams, especially if you have limited flexibility, because remember, the Nene test, I think about it as like kind of the abstract usually for, you know, like an, a, a theoretical average team, but you can tailor it to specific teams. And so for Utah, could they use that $9 million better? And I believe the answer is they could. Utah, I think they could. For Memphis, however, and and I was running them in the mock off season when I accepted Exum in the trade. I looked at him as somewhat of a positive there, as you'll recall. The mock off season that trade was Conley for Rubio, which was kind of basically dead side. I think we anticipated he would get bought out. Exum, Utah's first round pick this year, and Grayson Allen. I think for a team like Memphis, what are you using your money on that's so valuable? These next couple of years, getting a young guy who could pop, you know, I think you know, you're overpaying a little bit for that upside. That was kind of what Utah was thinking when they re-signed him 
to that deal so i think he makes sense for memphis if, he, if you're trying to win now no exum does not make anywhere near any kind of sense at that number you can do better with your money real quickly here lightning round could you see the jazz using cap space to take on bad money i assume this summer no i that seems very unlikely to me that they would do that uh, i still if they don't make this conley trade then you can see them maybe trying to re-sign ruby they're gonna have to get some kind of a point guard solution in there uh just Oh, I have I have a uh, twenty nineteen offseason guy that I would be interested in for them. What? Tobias Harris. Oh, sure. If they don't if they don't get somebody, I think he checks a lot of boxes for them, and kind of in a similar role to what he's played at moments with the Clippers. But it, especially if LA gets stars in their eyes, goes after somebody else, I think Tobias would be a wonderful fit. I agree. Although you would imagine that Harris might even have multiple max offers. Again, comparing giving him a max offer to giving someone else in that terrible 2020 class a max offer going forward as you're trying to plan things out last thing Rudy Gobert all-star sub the worst of all time I don't recall any huge ones you know in terms of the snub I can think more of just who are some of the worst all-stars which you would think maybe would lead to the some of the worst snubs you know your Wally Zerbiak's your Jamal McGlores I don't remember who they were chosen over at this time but if you look at the actual quality of the players and their history who are on the rosters, no, I wouldn't put it that far. I mean, Rudy clearly was in there for me. You know, I had him probably, you know, ninth or 10th out of my 12 in terms of how deserving he was. He definitely should have been on there. I think Westbrook, Clay Thompson, like those, in terms of what they've done this year, those guys are not really defensible picks over Rudy Gobert, in my opinion. But, you know, those are guys who have been there many, many times and, you know, I, and I didn't mind Rudy's reaction to it. You know, I, I appreciated the passion that he showed. Evaluating players is always going to be imperfect, which is really a shame. And, you know, even for people like us who make this our jobs, you know, we're, we're always going to have disagreements. I didn't think it was close. I thought he should have been in. But there's always going to be other people who disagree. And there isn't really a fair way of doing that. Uh, but I do think having the coaches be the ones to vote like that's not their job like have people whose jobs it is maybe the idea of a selection committee would make a little bit more sense although you know depending on who's on that it could be just as flawed but at least someone who's not just oh yeah we played against him twice that's what my impression of him is this year you know hey russell westbrook yeah he's been a great player for a long time we really have to scheme to stop him that's you know that's kind of how coaches are thinking or clay thompson oh we can't leave him uh so ironically you know how coaches always praised or uh preach defense i think that actually kind of leads to them valuing the offensive players more because what they're always thinking oh how do we stop this guy how do we stop this guy oh russell westbrook we gotta keep we gotta keep him out of transition clay thompson you can't possibly leave him whereas rudy gobert okay yeah we can't let him get up for an alley-oop but you know there's a lot of guys like that offensively and you're not really thinking in terms of your offense you're going to kind of run your offense and maybe it won't work but as a coach you're not like oh we got to change everything we're doing because Rudy Gobert is out there, I, maybe they should. But, uh, you know, certainly during the regular season, he's a center and he's really good and he protects the rim. But you're not going to be like, oh, we got to, like, this is going to be all over the scouting report. Like, don't even try and shoot around the rim. Like, you're not going to say that uh, in a way that you will put all this effort in towards stopping guys. So I think, actually, the fact that coaches worry more about defense almost means that they value offensive players more because they're like, oh, who can we not stop? It's this guy. I'll echo a lot of that. I had Gobert. I think I had him seventh on mine. So yeah, it was it was a big step. But I I don't have the historical background to go. Oh, this is a, this is a worse one. This is a better one. 
So let's move on to the San Antonio Spurs after that very long six minutes. Uh, the Spurs the Spurs are 32-23 and 23 after their loss tonight in Sacramento, 7-3 and three since the last 15-60. and 60. They are 11th in net rating at plus 2.3, 5th in offense, 22nd in defense, 538 projects them to win 45 games, which would be 7th in the West, and gives them an 85% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, that that is such a step up from where they were. You know, it was like 25, 30% chance early in December before they went on that crazy win streak, or I shouldn't say win streak, but crazy run, which in some ways is still continuing. DeMar DeRozan returned to the lineup for them after missing three straight. Looked fine to me. Uh, favorite playoff matchup for the Spurs, asked Connor Varney, former uh, SPC student. Thanks for the question, Connor. Good to hear from you. So something I look for in a San Antonio opponent is a team that tries to do a lot at the basket. Now, this is not the same San Antonio team that beat the Rockets a couple of years ago in the playoffs. You know, they're they're going smaller more often. They don't always, though they could theoretically turn to Pau Gasol and Jakob Pertl more than they do. But the kind of team that, you know, doesn't always succeeds maybe in a, a more limited number of ways, and the Spurs can try to shut down those spigots. And so... Houston's probably the easy one considering San Antonio did that in a prior year. They're one option, but then the other one, because remember, San Antonio is going to be a lower seed, would be the Thunder. I think the Thunder would totally gum up San Antonio's offense. But if they're going to rely, like San Antonio will bait Russell Westbrook into taking a ton of bad shots. And I think San Antonio would could do a pretty good job keeping Steven Adams. I mean, nobody can keep him all the way off the glass. So those would be my top two, though I could see them giving the Nuggets trouble as well. Yeah, this isn't a team that I think is built that well for the playoffs in a lot of ways. I mean, they have the 22nd ranked defense. Where are their weaknesses? They never, ever force turnovers, and they allow teams to shoot a pretty good percentage. They do take care of the defensive glass pretty well, and like every Greg Popovich team, since time immemorial, they don't foul at all. So I think the Thunder, I could see them being a decent matchup. I could see... Houston being a good matchup for them because of that not fouling. You know, I think they, they can do a little bit better of a job there. I mean, I think they have a, a decent strategy on Harden, as you mentioned. But this is all relative, too. You know, I mean, I think of most of these teams as being better. Your other problem for San Antonio is how reliant they are on that bench unit. That's how they've been beating people. You know, you look at some of the net ratings for their starters, not particularly impressive. Uh, they don't really have a great guy to guard Harden. Maybe Utah would be a decent matchup for them because they don't really shoot that much at the rim. So Rudy Gobert's strength there is not going to be amazing. You know, a guy like Aldridge or DeRozan, those guys are going to shoot a lot from the mid-range anyway. So maybe that's a, a decent matchup for San Antonio. But yeah, not a ton come to mind for me as like, you know I mean? I think DeRozan, most of these teams that are good, have a pretty good matchup against him. Maybe you could say Denver doesn't really have a perfect matchup for him, unless it's Troy Craig, and that's going to hurt their offense. But I have to say, as a playoff team, you know, I'm not too high on how they match up with a lot of these teams, frankly. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of putting it. We can do this one pretty quickly. Is there any way that the Spurs can move Pau Gasol? Sure, if they're willing to take on a larger 2019-20 salary. Remember that Pau is only guaranteed, I believe it's $6.7 million for next year. So if they want to move him for somebody who makes more money for that year, I'm sure there'll be lots of takers out there. But I don't think, you know, Powell on his current contract is a positive value. And so 
for most teams, it would depend on their flexibility and everything else. I would, I, I, my instinct right now is that they would rather pay him the partial guarantee rather than the full contract amount for next year. And if that's the way it works, then he has a net negative value contract. Spurs are 4-0 without DeRozan and significantly better stats-wise with him off the floor. Is he hurting them? That's tough to say. I I really think defensively, yes, that's pretty clear. He's always really hurt his teams defensively, especially as he has shot worse. And, you know, he did take that time off with the knee injury. That could be part of it. As he shot worse, I think the answer is probably yes. Uh, because, you know, I mean, he's down at 52% true shooting. And, yeah, he takes a lot of the shots that some of these other guys aren't equipped to make. But if you get low enough in terms of efficiency, that's becomes less useful, uh, even though you are taking some of the harder shots that are going to be required of just about any team. I don't know. What, what do you think? It, it's, I mean, hurting them is tough to say. I mean, because also he's going up against starters a, a lot. But it is telling to me that, you know, he was doing much better stats-wise early in the year when they weren't playing well. And then as he's dropped off, uh, they've been better. But, you know, it's tough to say because, you know, he's not playing on those bench units. So at least he's not hurting them th- at, at that point. I don't know. It, it, I'm not willing to quite go that far. I am willing to go plenty far in terms of him being a, a pretty overrated player. But to be like an actual negative, they're better without him. I can't go that far yet. That's a lot to say for for somebody like DeRozan, and we each have our misgivings with him. But that starting five, I mean, he there you need somebody who can create. Remember, there have been moments in the season. Granted, they found other options, including Derek White, who might actually unfortunately miss some time now with a plantar fascia issue on the other foot, which is concerning. So we'll we'll see how long he's out with everything like that. But they need people to generate offense, you know, to to initiate. And DeRozan is imperfect. But one thing to mention here, while a lot of the damage is being done by their bench, San Antonio, incredibly, is third in effective field goal percentage. And that isn't all him, obviously. That's a lot of different guys. But, you know, it that's the kind of thing that I... And, and remember, they're not turning the ball over. DeRozan never turns the ball over. That is something he is helping them with. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would say he's helping them less than I think some people are probably willing to give him credit for. But that's not the same as hurting them. And they don't really have many other intuitive replacements for everything that he does. But we well, can jump one, to the one question. more thing on that, though, Danny, real quick. Sure. I mean, consider that they've had a lot of lineups where he's out there with Mills and Forbes. You know, a, a lot of these lineups, he's playing the three. He's actually, you know, has to guard some of these bigger wings. Like, he's definitely mm-hmm. being miscast defensively yes. on this team. Yeah, and that gets into the the question from Ben of could this be considered one of Pop's best coaching jobs? And for me, the answer is is no, because a lot of times one of the key things for me is how a team plays on defense, and they're 22nd. They aren't fouling, which is good, but they're not. And like the offensive execution, I mean, it is impressive that they have put this together with players that are not you know conducive to the quote-unquote modern nba you know like the, but they're really good at what they do and so I, I do give pop credit for that but especially because they do have a talented bench those guys have done well the young guys like to me this isn't even though they are 11th in, in net rating which is a shock to me even and i remember i picked their over but that was before Dejounte got hurt that to me this isn't as great an example of you know the whole being the sum of the parts that year last year when Kawhi was out and they were still like third in defense that was really incredible to me that was that was a better coaching job than this one 
yeah it's still pretty good <laughs> but yeah i i wouldn't put this yeah, I, yeah. it's it's a high bar. I mean, we're talking about Pop's best coaching jobs. No, I, I think that's right. And, and, I mean, I think you would have to go back to, like, you know, some of those early 2010s teams as some of his best work, obviously. Because, I mean, those those teams, while good, did not have a true superstar, really, on those teams. And they were absolutely dominant. And also, obviously, the playoffs it matters a lot as well when you're talking about a coaching job. But regular season, I mean, yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> uh we're going to move on here to the Sacramento Kings who defeated the Spurs tonight. But first, this from Everlane. With Everlane, you don't have to overpay for quality clothes. They're going to tell you exactly how much everything costs to make. They want you to know what you're paying for. They tell you the real costs. They're radically transparent about every step in their process. I, I really like that about them. And yeah, you know, they're going to make a little money. At every business has to. But you could see that they're not gouging you where you really wonder about it with some companies they use ethical factories uh, as well and i really just enjoyed their not only their quality but uh, the style i got a bunch of stuff from them for my honeymoon my wife uh, really enjoyed some of the shorts which are seven inch and seems a little, little shorter than i as a child of the 1990s would normally be comfortable with but she told me it looked good and uh i think ultimately she's probably right they got great women's stuff uh, as well for valentine's day They've got 100% grade A cashmere, premium Japanese denim. The Japanese denim is awesome. It's in Japan on the honeymoon also. The Japanese make some awesome denim. And Everlane uses the world's cleanest denim factory. And they even got outerwear that's made from recycled water bottles as well. So check out everlane.com slash capspace for some options. And you get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash capspace. Easy to remember that slash capspace URL. So we talk about it all the time here everlane.com slash capspace let them know at that slash capspace url that you came from us all right where are we on sacramento the kings are 28 and 25 after their win tonight five and four since the last 15 and 60 slightly negative net rating puts them 19th 18th in offense and an identical 18th in defense 538 projects them to have 39 wins which would tie them for 11th in the west and only gives them an 8% chance of making the playoffs, probably due to the uh, the preseason expectations. And also, I think they have a pretty tough schedule coming up over the next little while. I want to start with a question from Leo, which was, if you were the Kings, how would you handle Willie Cauley-Stein's impending restricted yeah. free agency? Let's be quick on this one, because I think we answered a very similar one uh, on a previous mailbag. Yeah, uh, why I wanted to start with that is, I would offer him something low, you know, like basically backup money to avoid restrictive free agency. And then I would say, get an offer. You know, if that's not enough for you, get something. Because while I like Willie Cauley-Stein and think there are things he does well, he is not so special that you should overpay for him. And they're going to have, it looks like a lot of money. I mean, they could spend it, spend a lot of it this Thursday, but we'll see. Yeah. And Marvin Bagley, in theory, is going to be a five man going forward. We'll, we'll see. There are obviously major questions about his position, uh, although he has looked pretty darn good at, of late, he had this 360 alley-oop today, which was awesome. And people were like, oh, he wasn't really a 360 because he took off, like, kind of already with his back to the basket a little bit. Like, nah, it, it, it counts as a 360. It was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, the, they threw him, the I think it was Yogi Ferrell, threw the pass way behind him. He wanted to reverse dunk it. He couldn't catch it that way, so he had to spin around in the air and dunk it. It was awesome. Check that out. That'll be in our dunks of the month or dunks of the whatever portion of the season we're going to talk about next here. So 
yeah, I mean, Willie Cauley-Stein to me is a serviceable starting center. I think he would work a lot better playing for, say, Houston as a, like more of a switch guy, a team that just has larger guys on the perimeter and can switch more. I think that skill of his is wasted to some degree on this Kings team. I think he's a terrible fit next to Bagley because Bagley is such a dynamic inside player himself. Cauley Stein is not really a threat from outside of about two feet. And he's still not as efficient as you would like him to be. And he's improved his finishing to be sure, but he also probably takes a few too many hard shots with off of one or two dribbles that are kind of self-created and, and he doesn't shoot a great percentage on those. So, you know, that to me, unless it were a number, I would feel very comfortable about trading him at, which would be not eight figures per season and probably not four years either. Uh, no, I, I would just let the market make the decision at that point. And if it's a big offer, you just let him go. You can replace him and they've got other guys at his position. Speaking of which, Got a couple of questions here about whether Giles and Bagley can be the starting four and five. Giles had that awesome game that we talked about last week where I think he was like 10 of 12 from the field. But, you know, he's shown a few flashes. What have your impressions been overall of him before we talk about the fit between Bagley and Giles? Giles flashes some really compelling skills. I mean, his pass, he throws some really nice passes out there, which are exciting. And, you know, he, it seems like he does them well within the flow, you know, good vision and all that. And he has the, some of the perimeter skills, not, uh, not as much ball handling. I don't, it's not bad, but I don't think he's, you know, oh, crazy, a crazy ball handler for a four or five. But I just don't think he has enough tools, especially in the defensive toolbox right now. He can get there. I mean, Giles, remember, he's missed all this time due to injuries and all that. He still hasn't even turned 21 yet. So even though, you know, this is a delayed rookie year for him, it's no, he's not an old rookie. And I just don't know exactly. Like, so what he does well to me is not enough at this point to for me to project him as a starter at either four or the five. But I could see him being a part of a rotation. And that's really where I am on him as of now. Yeah, and Giles, to me, you know, his shooting was something that actually impressed me the most in Summer League. We haven't seen him go to that much here. But he likes to operate on the block. He's a, a skilled player. I don't know that he's really capable of, like, bullying his way to the rim in post-up situations, really getting that juicy efficiency. You know, we said, I think his jump hook game has looked better of late, although you don't want to overreact to that big game that he had last week. But he doesn't quite have the pop to me to really be an elite option. And maybe that'll come back. I mean, it's been a while now since uh, those injuries. But, of course, he sat out all last season, which looks to have done him some good. And we haven't heard anything about him getting hurt, which is really nice. But he's not really an elite athlete. You know, I don't see him as a huge plus defensively at this point in time. I don't see him as a guy who can move his feet that well on the perimeter. Perhaps the athleticism will continue to improve. But as of now, I don't really see that there. And then offensively, you know, he's going to operate in the mid-range. He's going to post up, and that's what you kind of foresee with Bagley. And if Bagley's going to run pick and roll, which I think he'll be really good at, then where is Giles going to stand? Is he going to shoot threes? Eh, you know, okay. But still, I, I think, and then if you're going to utilize his inside skills, how good is Bagley's out, uh, outside game going to be? It's not an impossible fit, but I, I do think just a, a more traditional stretch type of player is going to end up needing to be the fit because both of those guys in a lot of ways are kind of 4.5s yeah that that is the like the idea of fit is a concern for me and i think that's kind of what i was getting at with the idea that 
Giles has tools in his toolbox, but they may not might not be right for either position. And when I watch those guys together, you can see a lot of the offensive interplay between them. But if you think about sliding them, you know, from the backup line to the starter line, they'll be playing against better opposition. They'll be dealing with half court defensive possessions more often just because they'll be getting fewer fewer stops. They'll be scoring less often against better competition. And so they will be getting better. I mean, they will get a lot better. These are both young guys that have a lot of room to improve. But a collective identity, I think, is a challenge for the two of them, especially playing together. Real quickly here, why haven't you guys mentioned Shumpert as a possible trade target for, say, Houston or Philly? Asked Steve Song. Always has good questions. Uh, because I don't think he's necessarily available. You know, And I think he would be a great fit with either of those teams as a, a 3 and D guy. But Sacramento's trying to win. He's been in the rotation. He's starting for them no indication that they're going to pack it in i mean i think if they'd lost a few more games we might be talking about that but you know i mean who knows they could even try to re-sign him at at this point in time so no i I think he philly or houston would love to get their hands on him but you know with him being healthy again he's had a bounce back season but i just don't think he's available um all right let's uh move on to portland where we have a trade to announce we do but let's get to Portland's fundamentals first, just to get make sure we don't forget them, because we probably would otherwise. 32 and 21, 6 and 1 since the last 15 and 60, 9th in net rating, 7th in offense, 16th in defense, 538 projects them to win 48 games, which is the 6th best record in the Western Conference, and gives them a 96% chance of making the playoffs. And we will see how adding Rodney Hood affects that projection, and I, I, the word I used on this on a quote tweet to Woj was interesting. I think that was just because I wasn't ready to fully criticize it the way that I, I, I want to. But my big question here is this is a lot to give up for Rodney Hood. Yeah, there's two ways to look at it, of course. One is that they could be pretty good these next couple of years, and we're talking about second round picks in the 50s. Then again, you know, this is a similar price prayed for PJ Tucker a while ago and one lesson that i had actually and we'll see they could be out there looking for a bigger upgrade with their first round pick but one lesson i had from the mock trade deadline was there actually might be you know for all the talk of how there are no sellers and too many buyers if you're really willing to be aggressive whether it's with say multiple second round picks or even a first round pick which portland's been rumored to maybe do you can actually get a lot because it doesn't seem like while there are buyers i don't know that there are buyers who are willing to be as aggressive as say portland or philly and there are just so many expiring contracts on these really bad teams you know whether it's the hawks or the grizzlies to give two prime examples there the mavs have moved a couple of their guys obviously in the porzingis trade now but those guys would in theory still be available from the knicks although the blazers couldn't get them because they would have to send back non-expiring salary that the knicks would be uninterested in so this seems like a lot to give up because it just seems like there's better players out there at the Rodney Hood. So I think that's just an evaluation thing. I think they need some shot creation. Hood, to some extent, can provide that, but he's probably even worse than some of the guys that they've had at that position. I do think he's going to be an upgrade on Nick Stauskas. He would be uh, have to be pretty bad to not be. And they don't add too much to the tax bill because they included Wade Baldwin in the trade as well. So it's close to salary neutral. They don't have any kind of bird rights on him. He had to waive those in waiving his no trade. That's why he had the no trade to begin with, an implied no trade. So it's not like they have a huge leg up on re-signing him, other than if just things go well and he wants to be there. But 
you would think maybe he's still trying to start. I don't know if those uh, that sh- that ship's probably sailed for his career at age 26, but maybe he still has those dreams. That's not going to happen for him in Portland. And he's so bad defensively. You know, I think of him as really strictly a bench guy. In the playoffs, he's really failed in the playoffs the last two years for Utah and Cleveland. So we'll see what the price ends up being for other players. And maybe you can say there isn't a ton of offensive creation available on the market, especially those with size. Although, Hood, like you've said so many times, he's 6'8", but he plays like he's 6'1". You know, so the idea that he has size, he's got size on offense, but he doesn't have any size on defense uh, effectively. So to think of him as a wing, he's not really a wing defensively because he's just, you know, doesn't play with enough force. So I, I, I was surprised that the price was that high, um, especially for a guy who doesn't come with any kind of bird rights or re-signing possibility, even as an expiring contract. But so again, you can say, eh, it's not going to matter. Two second round picks are going to be probably in the fifties or after 45, they're going to be useless, but maybe they wouldn't be useless if they could have gotten someone better and we'll see how the rest of the market shapes up. So we got about three minutes left here. Uh, let's hit another of these questions. We've got a lot of them here for Portland. So let's do lightning round. Is Lillard the second best point guard in the league right now? The conversation is probably between him and Kyrie Irving. I think I would go Kyrie right now, especially because of Kyrie's ability to, to get his own in, in against basically any defense, but they're, they're both worthy choices. I mean, I love Dame. I think you could, but I would go with Kyrie. Yeah, and Kyrie is a proven playoff performer. Uh, Lillard has a better health record, but certainly when healthy, I'd say it's Kyrie uh, pretty clearly at this point. Who should the Blazers want to play in the first round of the playoffs? Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, they've they've alternated huge blowouts and getting blown out with Utah. I don't like the Houston matchup for them. OKC, I think, is okay, but the OKC will probably be too good to play in the first round. I mean, San Antonio would be one, uh, obviously, I think they would want. They're not going to want to play the Lakers if LeBron's healthy. That's for damn sure. So I, they're not going to want to play the Warriors. We know yeah. that. So I mean, that's you know, I, I still even though Portland is playing well, I, I kind of see them as not as good as some of these guys. I mean, I actually think in some ways Denver might be a better. Yeah, matchup. that's that's what I was going to say. Like I, I, I mean, also because Denver, we just don't know how this team is going to go in the playoffs. Like, I mean, they, we haven't even really seen their starting five play together. So maybe they end up losing something just with the depth that they've had when they've been remotely healthy, which they haven't been. So, yeah, yeah I mean, God, the Spurs... The, the Nurkic-Jokic like matchup in the playoffs, man, that would be... That would be fun. Yeah. And Malone coaching against Nurk would be would be interesting. Yes. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, Terry Stotts... And this team, you know, this is one of the, one of the few situations where I think they would have the clear both coaching and team experience advantage. So, I mean, again, you know, we're talking about relative to just, you know, team quality, where's the better matchup? You know, Denver does try to get out on the floor and take the ball out of Dame's hands. You know, they're going to have to deal with that. But they're not, there's no Drew Holiday on this Denver roster, really. You know, so I, I think uh, I like that matchup okay. I mean, you know, we may say that about a lot of, a lot of teams in Denver. You know, OKC, I think, is is okay. You know, that's... Well, the challenge there is defending Paul George. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be... It's going to be tough for yeah, them. I mean, they, you but... know, they got Aminu. They got Harkless. Like, those are decent options on him. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, a couple minutes left here. Is Draymond Green a trade target for the Blazers this offseason? I, it's difficult for me to imagine a situation where she'd be available unless KD re-signed and was like, Hey, you know, if, uh, if you guys could move Draymond, uh, that'd be great. But I don't think they have what the Warriors no. want. 
You know, like it's hard for me if they're going to move Draymond, they're going to want players that can help them right away, especially somebody who can help with their defensive identity. And that's, you know, that's not exactly what Portland has in spades. No, I mean, Portland would love to have him. There's a lot of teams that, that would love to have him. Okay. Sorry, we're not going to get to all these Jake Lehman questions, but if he continues to play well, I'm sure we will take a look at him during the dog days to be sure. Phoenix Suns, they are 11 and 44. Holy shit. 0-11 since the last 15-60. and 60. Remember when they had that four-game winning streak? That seems like a long, long time ago. They have had a lot of injury concerns, uh, of course. Negative 9.6 net rating is 28th in the NBA. They are 27th in offense, 28th in defense. They project for a mere 18 wins and will not be making the playoffs. Uh, DeAndre Ayton did return over the weekend had 13 and 11 it was actually plus eight in their loss to the hawks let's start here jake lake solid name who do you predict to be the sun's starting point guard at the start of next season and i mean there's so many options i'm gonna guess terry rosier i'm gonna say devin booker i think it's easier and clearer path for them to go after maybe like a two or a three than to get a one because a lot of the ones at their price range are going to be restricted now, it's entirely possible that Terry Rozier, they can maybe put a bid together that Boston's not comfortable with. But if Kyrie Irving leaves, then that number changes a lot. So it's going to be more difficult for them. Now that Dennis Smith is functionally off the market, that that potential uh, he, domino well, has, has I, Yeah, fallen. I guess uh, he could be back on the market. I think. Yeah, he I mean, could if, be. If but the it, Knicks it, get Kyrie... Uh, I could see him getting sure, him. but in, in that circumstance, it might be. Yeah, I guess yeah. maybe the Suns could have I mean, guys could they'd be interested like a in. TJ Warren for Dennis mm-hmm. Smith type of deal occurring, but no, I think if you had to pick all the people that are most likely, you know, Rozier is probably the one to me. I mean, he's. Been I'm good. I'm good with forever. that. Yeah, the, I think it's very possible they start next year with with Booker and Bridges as their starting guards, and I'd be you know, I'd be okay with that. It just depends on what's on the table. Yeah, I mean, Zach Lowe wrote a little bit about how Booker has looked at point guard and certainly he's looked better than any of their other options, but there are still some concerns and defensively too. I mean, who's going to guard point guards on this team? That's not going to be Booker. So finding a wing who could guard point guards, maybe that's a re-sign Kelly Oubre, although, you know, they've been bringing uh, him off the bench even now for when, when everyone's healthy. That was a good question though. Um, Will the Suns be good enough over the extent of T.J. Warren's contract to where his value contract actually matters, or is it a more valuable trade chip to acquire long-term assets? This is the first year of his extension, which he's making about $12 million a year. And unlike Aaron Gordon, his contract is not descending. It has a dip for next year, but then it starts ascending. So it's, yeah, it's 11, I think it's 11, 12, 13, something like that after this year. I think the good part of this question is the idea of what, you know, like where his value actually matters. I like Warren. I've, I'm i maybe not as big a fan of his game as you are, but you've been banging the TJ Warren drum for a while. But I think he's a lot closer to properly paid than underpaid. Sure. And that even though he plays a position of scarcity, generally speaking, that's still a lot harder to sell for assets. And, you know, he's not going to have team control after that. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So... Unless somebody falls all over themselves for Warren, let's say this three-point shooting continues or something else, he can be a useful, valuable part of their rotation. So it's sort of a similar situation to what I talked about with Willie Colleystein before. You know, if another team makes a mistake, you capitalize on that one way or the other. And if they don't, then you just have them around. Yeah, he profiles to me as 
more of a solid bench guy and a really good team. I mean, maybe he just becomes such a good shooter and a bomber. I mean, we've seen that happen. You'd have to continue and maybe even improve the amount of his three-point shooting in addition to hitting him at a similar rate to where he's been so far. But defensively, you know, no indication that he's a quality player there. Maybe he has some tools, but obviously hasn't been able to put that together. So uh, I'll believe that uh, he's a quality defensive player when it happens and not before. And he, I mean, in a lot of ways, he's more valuable to the Suns, who in theory are trying to win and, you know, may try to use some cap space this summer if they can stretch Ryan Anderson. And you made a good point in your piece that using the stretch provision this offseason may make more sense just because of that, you know, you're going to get more bang for your buck in this offseason than next offseason with the, the bad free agent class and also just the amount of money that's going to be out there from the Sour 16 to the you know, if everybody decides to stretch everyone, then of course, you know, that's part of what happened in 2016 was everyone was like, oh yeah, well, they'll be, the cap's going to go up even further in 2017. So we can just spend in 2016, it'll be fine. But they spent so much money in 2016 that then there wasn't as much money in 2017 and the cap didn't go up as much. Anyway, should the Suns make a run at Drew or Lonzo before the deadline? And what are realistic offers? Uh, Drew doesn't seem like he's available. Lonzo is, they're keeping him around to be part of the AD package. So it doesn't seem like there's really much chance either way there i also don't particularly like the fit of lonzo ball with devin booker personally like uh, defensively it's interesting but offensively devin booker has shown a lot more to me with the ball in his hands than i expected and i praise him for that and lonzo we've seen some of it this year you know if the he he's a very intuitive passer you know you can still get benefits from him in transition but i don't know that he's necessarily offensively the kind of guy that i'd be looking for next to Devin. i think the theory of lonzo ball is perfect right sure. he can make shots doesn't <laughs> need the ball pushes the ball hard in transition can get guys open shots that way it defends well although you know i'm still not buying ball as like this on ball stopper guy you know i think is more of his value comes in as an off ball guy which uh, again the suns you know they don't have great off ball defense from their smalls either they don't get a ton of steals or or anything like that but you know the, the ball's just got to go in for him you know i mean he's just not a good enough shooter at this point, you know, he's got to get it with his other limitations in terms of running pick and rolls and doing anything in the half court offensively other than maybe the occasional cut. He's really got to become a, at least a solid shooter to have a ton of value. And, you know, so the theory of him, yeah, I mean, I, if you can get get him, I would say get him, you know, but there's a, and obviously there's the health issues, too. Uh, has Devin Booker turned a corner uh, offensively? Yes, I was uh it's really remarkable. It was like a reply to like one Suns fan where I was like, oh, they've been saying that Devin Booker was going to turn the corner forever and it hasn't happened yet. And then right after that, they went on that uh, 4-0 run, which will live live on forever in Suns history until they actually do something in a season. But that got like blown up uh, on with my fun friends at, at Suns Twitter. And yeah, offensively, I think so. You know, a lot of it has come from them just putting the ball in his hands more and He's had some very efficient performances. His passing has looked good, although it's not perfect. Again, as Zach Lowe is another guy who talked about that, and I agree with him. But if you're, they're not winning any games, and yeah, you know, they've had some players who are injured, and when everyone else is healthy, even then their players are not that great. The guy still is like in the 300s in PIPM. And offensive RPM, he's looked pretty good. You know, I think he, he's, again, taken strides forward on offense defense that's not the case how much can you separate that with all of their other defensive problems it's tough to say 
So yeah, I think he's made some improvements. If we're talking about a guy who's clearly going to be worth a max contract going forward, if you're talking about a foundational piece of a good team, no, I am not convinced there as of yet. It's just going to take a better team-wide performance. And, you know, you can say, hey, there's nobody else around him. And I understand that argument. On the other hand, you know, you just don't know until they actually start winning games of whether he can contribute to winning much or not. They've certainly been better with him on the floor. But, of course, there are plenty of players on this team who are just so bad that he is coming in for. They have no other creators on the whole team. Of course, those numbers are going to look good. And even with him on the floor, it was looking better early on. But now uh, that really has normalized. And, you know, I mean, I think they're, I don't know what their record is with him in the lineup, but it's still, you know, one of the worst teams in the NBA. I had the numbers in front of me to answer this question. They have a league average about offense, 109.3 when Booker's on the floor. Some of that is weighted down by just disastrous lineups early in the season when they're pairing him with these point guards who shouldn't even be in the NBA. And they have a negative 7.8 net rating because their defense sucks. I mean, that's that's not Devin Booker's fault, but he is definitely not helping fix it. So, yeah, I would say he's turned a corner. He's looked a lot better as as an on-ball guy than I anticipated, and that's important in terms of how they build their team. But whether, you know, it's going to take more time just because of how depressed the talent is on this team to really get a fair evaluation point for it. So that's a little I, bit. And no one was ever saying, like, he's not a good player, he's not going to be a good player. No. But to say that he is a clear future superstar, you know, no, we're not, we're not there or yet. Or, like, definitely the best player on a really good team or something like yeah. that, like. We don't we don't have yeah. that information yet. He absolutely has the tools to get there, but he is not there yet. Well, and I mean, you know, I got a lot of shit for saying that Donovan Mitchell is a better prospect than him. Well, Donovan Mitchell's been playing pretty damn well lately. So I, I think that's uh, entirely defensible. Although Mitchell obviously had struggled uh, up until the that point in time at this season when which was like mid December or so when this controversy arose. Uh how would you assess the job that Igor has done with the Suns? I mean, this is Another one where it's just with the personnel, it's so, so difficult. I think I, I've offensively, I think he's put guys in pretty decent positions to succeed, but with such not only bad players, but frankly, a lack of smart players on this team, it's tough. I do think, you know, I'd like them to be better than 11 and 44. It's hard to argue that he's really adding a lot at this point in time. Maybe he's teaching them some habits that will pay off and somewhat similar fashion to where the jazz were with, with Quinn Snyder, who, you know, obviously Kakashkov was one of Snyder's proteges, although he's, he's bitter on forever. He's got a lot of coaching influences. So uh, incomplete slash C at this point. I mean, it's, it, again, there's, you could say, well, you know, he's had been really unlucky with injuries, but that said, there's no positive indicators here really, other than just saying, you know, some of the stuff that they've been running, I've liked. All right, that's probably it on the Suns here. Let's move to OKC. The Thunder are 33 and 19, 7 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. They are fourth in net rating at plus 5.5, 13th in offense, third in defense. 538 projects them to win 53 games, which would be third in the West, and they are making the playoffs. They also made a trade, doesn't need the horns or anything like that. They traded TLC to Chicago for cash considerations, saves them a ton of money. It, Bobby Marks has it at $7.3 million towards the luxury tax, though it is worth noting that those savings will be muted, presuming OKC fills that roster spot at some point. You know, that will take out some of the savings, not the full amount, which is why they sent cash to Chicago. I don't know how much it was, but it was probably plenty because I think I heard that Chicago was close to their full cash received limit for this league year. And 
I think that ties in with a question from Rob McIntyre, which is, who should the Thunder look to acquire to fill out their depth? Yeah, it's looking like it'll probably be the buyout market there, uh, and they do have their minimum level. There's a lot of teams with the exceptions, and they're going to want to pay the minimum because obviously they're in the repeater tax, so the cost is going to be, if not prohibitive, exorbitant. So I think it's going to be pretty low level. Then you look at the fact that they have impacted first-round picks going forward from the Jeremy Grant trade and the Schroeder trade. So I really, I mean, we talked about them a little bit on the trade deadline preview, but I just, I'm not sure who's realistic for them to pick up other than maybe just a, a lower level type of buyout guy and maybe a different backup center if they feel that Nerland's Noel isn't it. But I think he's been a quality player for them. The type of player who's really, I mean, they have a lot of quality players on this team. The type of player that they need is, of course, a 3 and D wing because it's Oklahoma City. Ferguson has shown a few flashes there, but you know is not experienced and is not an established shooter. But I just don't think that that type of player is available who's really going to break into their rotation and make a difference. I mean, maybe you could say they could find a better option than the Patrick Patterson slot in the rotation. You know, Patterson's been a hit or miss in his OKC career, not very dynamic anymore on defense well- either. I like that you brought up the two things that you said were also two guys that got left in the cold in the in the mock deadline, which are the Memphis guys, Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green. I like Garrett Temple a lot more for the Thunder than Jermichael yes. Green. But the problem is Garrett Temple is going to have some good offers. And Terrence Ferguson has been playing better so far. Not necessarily good financial offers, but just more reliable yeah. playing time. Assuming so he doesn't get traded. Him. I mean, I, I expect those right. guys. And he very well could that. get traded. Sure, and there'd be a possibility if, let's say, the Kings fall out of it between now and March, that Amon Shumpert could come into it. I think he would be a compelling yeah. guy to I throw I think they'd want to hold mix. on to Shumpert and his bird rights, though, as we just talked about. They very yeah. well could. They very well could. I'm just thinking because the supply of the type of guys that OKC needs is just so narrow. I, I think they're happy with what they have at backup point guard and backup center. I've liked what Nerlens, I've really liked what Nerlens has done overall this year. But you're right with the Patrick Patterson slot in, you know, maybe they're getting Robertson back. Even if he d- d- isn't a starter, maybe he can play 15 to 20 minutes a game. That narrows the rotation as well. So, yeah, I'd be looking for a guy that can hit a jump shot and can be a part of the rotation. But looking for that for a two, three or four is tough sledding. You know, the guys, the guys who are in the G League or anything or who are anything else are on teams and those guys aren't going to generally get bought out. So and if they're going to get bought out, there are other options where they can get more playing time. So. You hope that your sales pitch works? We'll see if it does. Okay, lightning round here. Has Ferguson taken Robertson's starting spot for the season? If he's healthy, if Robertson is healthy, like fully healthy, no, I think they would probably want to play Robertson. Uh, but I think Ferguson may actually help them more, especially just because they have so many good guys already to defend that I, you know, I'm not sure how much value added there is on defense from Robertson anymore. Yeah, especially because Paul George wants those assignments more than some of the other guys in sure. his in his line. I mean, if you can put Paul George there, then it's a little bit of over... Oh God, there's a word. There's a better word for this I'm not thinking of. Just like, it's superfluous value. I think it's probably fair. And Robertson, teams know how to defend him. You know, like, just basically leave him open. He's a reluctant shooter. I don't think that transformed. I hope it did, but I don't think that necessarily transformed during his extended absence. So, I, I think Ferguson is a better fit for their starting five. But because of Robertson's equity with the team, if he theoretically were fully healthy, I could see it being there. Uh, quick one from Trevor Marcone. What offers do you expect New Orleans and Wild to receive this offseason? 
I don't think anybody's going to see him as a clear-cut starting center. And outside, if you're not that, the money is going to be very tight. So we're probably talking on the high end, one of the mid-level exceptions, maybe the non-taxpayer one, which I think is like $5.6 million or something like that. But even $5.6 million might be a little bit much sure. considering the just absolute glut. Even if he's one of the better backup centers on the market, there are so many of them that a team could be sitting there going, well... If we can use the mid-level on somebody else, then why don't we just get somebody for the minimum? Yeah, I'm going to predict maybe 14 or 15 million less per year than he would have made on that contract he turned down from the Mavs. Uh, best way to beat OKC's aggressive defense. I thought that Utah, despite not having unbelievable personnel, put on a really nice clinic with that, particularly Ricky Rubio. He's the perfect player, guy with size, great passer to the weak side. So it's really just getting off the ball quickly. And if you can throw it all the way to the weak side, for a three-pointer uh that really can be very useful there and you know if you don't have a, a guy who's a dynamic ball handler who's going to get to the cup and really hurt you that way then you know there, there's not as much reason to be trapping out there and they kind of still do it so they give up a lot of threes they've made some adjustments this year to try and play you know a little bit more at the three-point line we'll see how those turn out in the playoffs can Robertson still make an impact in the playoffs? I, I, I'm i feeling like, uh, we're about done, but I'm feeling like he's not going to be healthy, so probably not. You know, And uh, you know, if we thought his offense was bad before, now it's probably going to be uh, even more of an issue. Okay, uh, let's get to the New Orleans Pelicans. I think we'll just spend most of this on the latest uh, on AD. AD now is actually being cleared to practice. He said in his mealy mouth suppressor which whatever people are criticizing for him for that he doesn't want to shit all over the city and the organization i understand that but uh you know he he made it clear he been saying it's my time and i felt like i did everything i could here that you know they just weren't going to win and that's why he was ready to move on i don't know that this trade request would have come if they weren't totally out of the playoffs this year i mean i think if they were looking like a, a solid playoff team he probably wouldn't have requested it but now it's come out that he wants to go to the lakers but also would be willing to sign long-term with the Knicks, Bucks, and Clippers if he is traded. The Lakers have now really, it sounds like, offered the kitchen sink per multiple reports from the LA Times of Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, two first-round picks. So no Josh Hart really is the only thing that's not in there. And, you know, they could, in theory, offer four first-round picks and three pick swaps if they really wanted to. Uh, and then also absorbing Solomon Hill's contract for next year, which is an interesting idea, but they wouldn't really have max space if they take on AD now anyway for next year. And Hill could always be stretched or uh, could some consideration to could be given to another team to take him. And how do you just feel in general uh, about that offer now? I mean, that's that's probably, you know, a reasonable offer. I mean, to have Ingram, you know, all of their good young guys in there, uh, there's some concern maybe that the Pels wouldn't want to take that offer now, not only because they think it'll be there in the offseason, as Mark Stein and I talked about yesterday, but also because those players, if they play, will help them win too many games the rest of the year. Uh, so people are... Yeah, well, I can, push, I can push back on that because they didn't help the Lakers win too many games when LeBron was out. So yeah, but I mean, you add Drew Holiday. To you'd that. add Drew I mean, and some of the other guys. I mean, but they might, they true. could they could do some... They could do some heavy resting, some load management with Drew, Drew Holiday there. So the reason for me that I – so I wouldn't do this deal 
the, the ones that I would be looking at right now would be from teams that have a really material advantage now versus later. So that would be talking to Denver, talking to Toronto, those types of teams. And if they can make you a really different type of offer that you think is better than both what the Lakers are offering and theoretically what the Celtics might offer, and it's very possible that the Celtics bid weakens, depending on what happens with Kyrie and a couple other things, it could also strengthen if he says, hey, the only way I'm staying is if you get Anthony Davis. But the reason why is because the Lakers offer is going to be there in this form or something very similar. There, there are guys that I like in this, and especially if they, you know, added Josh Hart, he's another intriguing piece. But there isn't anybody with real, you know, superstar, big difference talent. And that to me means that you're you're not going to see their value rise significantly during the rest of the season. It could, you know, maybe individual guys have a nice showing in the playoffs if they make it or something else. But also because then you open up the door for what happens if the right team gets the number one pick or even the number two pick if you think there's another guy that's good enough or somebody gets desperate or something else. Like if that offer isn't on the table right now, Anthony Davis is still going to be the best trade piece that is available in July if even whether that if they make this if they don't make this deal. So I that's why I wouldn't do it right now. It's really how you can say. I mean, I think the risk of never finding out what Boston is going to offer is a greater risk than some offer that could be made now is going to be gone. And I mean, and that's completely insane, but it's because of this dumb rule that you can't trade for two designated players and have them both on your roster at the same time. But that's where we are. I mean, in theory, the best offers should be coming now so you can get two playoffs out of the guy instead of one. And certainly the Lakers will... will come up with their best offer but again you know with lebron there i think the idea that their offer is not going to get materially worse is a very accurate one and you know one person tweeted me well you know what if ingram blows up in the playoffs or something like that and and, you know then they just decide they want to keep him like i don't think he's gonna blow up that much number one and number two if he does then okay maybe you get him and you don't get lonzo ball or something like that you know maybe but you at least have some evidence that this guy is actually good and i think you know the pels are reportedly looking for someone with with the potential to become an all nba player i would say of all the players who realistically are being discussed or or could be discussed you know maybe pascal siakam from toronto but you know i don't i don't see him as that level of talent and you know jason tatum i mean (laughs) that's you know and i still think jalen brown is probably a, a better option to me than any of the lakers young guys even if he he has struggled some this year and he's, you know, has some feel issues, but, you know, I still think he's reached a higher level of play than any of those Lakers guys have. So he would probably be, you know, either two or three on that list of people who are being discussed. And then there's, you know, Nick's first round pick, uh, or 15% of 14% chance of, uh, Nick's first round pick would probably be number three on that list of becoming an all NBA type of player. So, yeah, I, I think they're going to end up winning, and they should. I mean, I just don't know how you can feel like you did your job. And, of course, you know the Celtics are going to leak the shit out of, oh, we would have offered everything or something. Uh, maybe maybe they wouldn't do that for players because that would piss off the players on the roster. So, I, actually, I take that back. Uh, they'd probably do with the first run or the future. Yeah, pick. they'd say how many picks were on the yeah. table. And, and that Memphis book is looking very juicy right now, by the way. I think, you know. That's something that's probably being undersold as the moment, as far as the Celtics assets are concerned. Yeah, that was that. Actually, let's let's save that for the Memphis section because I had a couple thoughts on that. I think I'm turning to your line of thinking on the Memphis pick. All right, I think that's all we need there. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, actually, I want to mention that they're just they're the walking wounded right now. That's part of why I mean, beyond Anthony Davis not playing, I mean, the game that they lost was still a close loss to Indiana. Alfred Payton, Nikola Mirotic, Julius Randle all didn't play. Two of those guys had ankles. Oh, and Etwan Moore didn't play. So ankle sprains for Payton and Randle, quad contusion for Etwan Moore, and then a calf strain for Nikola Mirotic. So it's a challenge for New Orleans. Like even if they wanted to kind of rally the troops. It's just not really the right time for it. They don't they don't have enough there, which is unfortunate for Drew and, and everything they put into this team being good. And I was a believer in them at full strength. It's just that we're not going to see that very much this year. And one quick thing I want to talk about with you is I understand why they're not going to do it, but I'm sure that there are teams that would be really, really interested in Drew Holiday right now. And unlike with Anthony Davis, because he is such a premium asset, I think there is a risk that Drew Holiday, the offers for him are weaker in July than they are right now. And so there is there are complicated reasons why you might want to keep him. He's young enough, maybe he can be a part of the next team. Point guards take longer to develop, all those sorts of things. But, I mean, if, it's gonna, if, if it, this is going to be more of a real young guy rebuild, then there is an opportunity cost here that I, I think is being understated because we know the Pelicans aren't considering it. Yeah, I said this with Mark last night that, there's yeah you're really you're gonna make the playoffs when you weren't making the playoffs now and you have to trade idea and he made a good point which was that their depth is so bad that maybe the loss of davis could be muted a little bit by getting back uh more pieces who can play but you know they're also gonna lose and the probably depending on what they end up taking back could have some cap space this summer but you know what are they who are they going to use that on you know and end up having to really overpay I don't know that I like that outcome for them particularly either. But no, I mean, they absolutely should be trying to move Drew right now, especially because, you know, he could get hurt again. They're going to play him a ton of minutes. He's in the second year of a five-year deal, and he looks like a great value now. And he was pretty young when he signed that also because he came into the league when he was so young. But still, I mean, he's at the absolute peak of his value right now. People are going to forget how awesome he was in the playoffs. And, you know, you you get three playoffs out of him instead of four. So I, I would absolutely be at least listening there. They've apparently told him they're trying to compete, but what's going to happen is they're going to say, oh, we're going to try and compete. And then next year or the year after, it's going to become clear that they are not competing. And then they'll try and move him. And they'll get much less from him. And the rebuild will take longer. Yeah. And Drew has a player option for that 21-22 season. So they might be getting less value for him than they're anticipating. I also want to do New Orleans fundamentals before we forget before we move from them, 23 and 31, 2 and 8 since the last 15 and 60, 12th in net rating, which is still incredible. I mean, 12th in net rating and then eight games below 500, 6th in offense, 24th in defense, 39 wins projects for tied for 11th in the Western Conference, 14% chance of making the playoffs. But we can jump to the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are 25 and 27, 4 and 5 since the last 15 and 60, slightly positive net rating, puts them 17th. They are 14th in offense. An improved over last season, 19th in defense, and 538 projects them to finish with 40 wins, which would be 10th in the West, and gives them an 18% chance of making the postseason. DJ Rexad, former SBC student, says, how have you felt about Ryan Saunders coaching so far? Do you think he will return next season as head coach? It's been tough to evaluate him in terms of his player usage because they've just had so many guys out at this point. You know, they've really had to play Tolliver at the three. I mean, I haven't really seen them get much more out of Wiggins. They've had games where they've had to run Jared Bayless at point guard. Towns has been playing well. I mean, if you look at their numbers, 
since the Thibodeau firing, which was uh, January 7th. The starters actually uh, have been pretty solid. And with the, the number of players that are out, especially Covington and the point guards, you know, I, I think that's pretty good. Hopefully Covington will return relatively soon here. The bench uh, has struggled. They've played 12 games so far, negative 1.0 net rating overall. But, you know, nothing too sexy about the defense, 111.6. So uh, incomplete for Saunders. Nothing has really jumped out to me. There's a hope that maybe he could modernize the offense a little bit. I haven't necessarily noticed a, a ton of that yet. And as for him returning, it does seem like that's the preference. And he'll also come cheap, which would be nice because they're already paying Thibodeau as well. So I think it would have to go, just reading the tea leaves here, it would have to go extremely poorly for Saunders not to be brought back. I mean, and that would just be kind of negative PR, you know, obviously with his dad's passing and his stature in the organization. So in some ways, it's a feel-good story. You can see it that way. Or you can see it as, hey, you know, did this guy really pay that many dues? Are, Are there better options? available has he done enough to prove that he would be better than some of those other options there aren't that many awesome coaches on the free agent market either i think that could be a big part of this as well uh but you know hopefully the wolves can get healthy and if they go on a run which is not totally out of the question to me uh that maybe he can seal his fate as far as returning broadly speaking i've liked what i've seen from saunders but as you said it's very hard to evaluate i think the biggest thing that they've been missing is their point guards i mean they just had to run some really different stuff because teague rose and tyus jones have all missed a bunch of time a lot of it happening at the same moment and so that made it really difficult to evaluate but you know the overall you talk about the long twos being negative points in practice and all that type of stuff and and they've competed it looks like the players really do like playing for him so that that's a good step and might be an argument for having him until you find a suitable replacement they they haven't gotten much more out of wiggins yet though which is you know you would hope oh well that 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 would be that ties in with the question i wanted to do um from hugh jack how has Wiggins managed to decline significantly in his age 23 and 24 seasons? Also, any thoughts on successful small sample Point Wiggins? I haven't seen much of Point Wiggins, so I can't talk talk too much about it. The parallels between, I mean, obviously Wiggins is significantly worse, but the parallels between Wiggins and DeMar DeRozan kind of make that in, make that something that could happen. Yeah. Just Except maybe. DeRozan, actually, like, he's one of the great improvement stories that we've ever had in the NBA. That's true. And Wiggins is the Absolutely opposite. Absolutely true. Yeah. That's fair, but just the idea that maybe they can do a little bit more with the ball in their hands as opposed to off-ball, you know, I think there is a little bit of something there. But yeah, Wiggins, I think the biggest reason that he's had this, you know, if you want to call it a downturn or a lack of improvement, you can go either direction depending on how you feel about his 2016-17 season, is just that there isn't really much skill development there. when you watch Or body him, development, for that matter. Yeah, like, he, he's not really showing you much more in terms of like handle his jump shot you know he's making maybe a, a i mean he's not really making more mid-rangers he's not making more threes he's not getting to the basket as much he's getting to the line less this year than he did two years ago more than last year but last year was just this horrendous hopefully aberration in that respect for him so there isn't much of a reason when you watch him play to think that he's substantially better because his body's not better his skill level's not better and his effort level is not better. I mean, I think he's gotten a little better defensively, but, you know, again, and I think the one thing that there is hope for him, which they haven't gone to as much with the development of Towns, is, you know, getting him into the post. I think he's that's where he's consistently been the most effective in his career, but that's kind of been 
gone away from and probably rightfully so i mean i still think they have better options than posting him up so yeah i, I don't think that him putting the ball in his hands that much it really works that well because they've just been more effective i think putting it in the hands of a point guard who can actually pass and can actually get to the basket i mean and you know we talked about his body can you think of like the highlight dunks like to those those to me haven't been there nearly as much as in past years either you know i mean i think he's if anything his athleticism has declined in the last couple of years and he hasn't added strength to make up for it all right one more here from sean nash what are the best assets minnesota can get for trading taj Tolliver, rose all of them separately together i think we're talking second round picks and i mean they could get more maybe if they use taj as a vessel for taking on bad money but even then it might be hard to get a first well and, like, and they I also uh would run into some tax issues or, or at least limited flexibility in terms of using the full mid-level sure. if they wanted to take on bad salary for next year yeah like theoretically i mean i don't know how desperate portland is for for somebody like taj gibson but like if you could do that and take on myers leonard's money and get a first for it then maybe i what i would do is just solve the small the small smaller problem later but i don't think that offer is going to be on the table so you're thinking more in the in the second round pick range and then remember rose has a veto so he can maneuver his value should he want to all right well we got to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies, who will be mailing in the rest of their season, almost certainly. But with Stamps.com, you can do a lot better job of mailing stuff than the Memphis Grizzlies will. Uh, as Danny, you have used Stamps.com uh, in connection with your book. Yeah, I mean, we are, for our work, beneficiaries of the modern economy. You know, we do an internet-based thing, so there isn't much of a need for a solution like this. So I was completely freaked out when i had my book and i'm like oh god there i have to get this to people and you know friends and family who wanted copies who wanted signed copies all that kind of stuff and stamps.com really ended up being so perfect i was i was thrilled it's convenient it's cost effective and it's more powerful as well so like you can print your postage at home you can arrange pickups at home and you're saving money. It's fantastic. It, it was it was an absolute godsend for me. Yeah, you'll never overpay or underpay again. They print the exact amount of postage you need for every letter or package. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Anything you could do at the post office, you can now do from your desk for less. Right now, our listeners get a special offer, including a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. See for yourself why over 700,000 small businesses use stamps.com go to stamps.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. type in that familiar cap space code let them know that you came from us with that cap space code all right the grizz we've heard some buzz about mike conley and the jazz as was uh, predicted on the mock trade deadline we'll see if they can actually get there less buzz in terms of gasol meanwhile Omri caspi has torn a meniscus in his right knee he uh is to undergo surgery shortly not sure whether that's actually happened or not yet, but looks like you know it's going to be your typical six to eight weeker there. Four to six weeks, the official timetable, but you know I usually ends up being more like six to eight in my recollection. Does Garrett Temple and Jamichael Green for Brandon Knight and Houston's first round pick make sense for both teams? Asks Grizz fan, and we'll get to their fundamentals at the end. I know you're you're uh, yeah. that that that's like. Uh, boring a hole in the back of your brain right now that we didn't do it yet yeah but that's fine so jermichael and garrett temple for brandon knight 
I think the logic on Memphis's side is that the opportunity cost isn't that high, especially if we think that they're going to trade either Conley or Gasol before next season starts. So they're going to, you know, they're going to be in that kind of probably in that cap tax bubble zone range. That's kind of been my expectation. You know, I don't think they're going to get off of Connolly's contract free and clear. You know, they'll get in the mock mock deadline. It was Dante Exum who makes nine million a year. You know, that's not nearly as much as Connolly. So the opportunity cost for them isn't that high, especially because those guys are expiring contracts. And maybe Brandon Knight, you know, lottery ticket, maybe he helps them a little bit next season. Maybe they see something this year. They could always stretch him if they need that money. So, yeah, I mean, I think that helps. There, there's a logic to it for Memphis. And then for Houston, they get off that bad money, get two guys who can contribute, be a part of their rotation. So, yeah, it's a pretty good trade. Yeah, and it remains to be seen what Houston is looking for. If they want to get Kent Bazemore and they're willing to take on money for next year, maybe they like that better. I think Carrot Temple and Green, eh, you know, I mean, we'll see if Green can continue to shoot the three. You know, I think Baysmore is better than Temple and better than Green, but to get two guys it could be useful, and those are two guys with pretty good histories on the defensive side of the ball. Would Houston value the fact that they're able to have those guys be expiring contracts that they would still have bird rights on and could bring back if they wanted to, rather than being locked in to more money for Baysmore than Knight was making? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Uh, and I think that the Grizz w- would be interested in that. So I, I like that conception there. And the money is pretty close to neutral for this year. This is an interesting one. Uh, Miklas Yankaitis, and I apologize, uh, Miklas, if I'm mispronouncing your name. Could Julius Randle make a nice front court partnership with Jaron Jackson Jr.? Uh, and, you know, the Grizz are unlikely to have a ton of cap space. We'll see what happens with the Conley and Gasol trades and how much money they take back they're looking like it probably is gonna be more likely the mid-level what do you think on that i guess if gasol opted out and they kept Conley, they could have 25 million in space but you know i do see them taking back some long-term salary to try and get some of these draft picks and there's been discussion that they're willing to do that so i'm guessing you know there'll be 15 million or less maybe mid-level exception randall is young i like that about him and i think defensively He's not a bad fit with Jackson because both of those guys can move their feet pretty well and switch. Now, Randall, if he's not an on-ball switch guy, and he's been much worse this year in New Orleans, by the way, than he was last year with the Lakers. But with both of those guys able to switch, maybe you can implement more of a switching system. Now, Jackson can shoot the ball. He hasn't really been utilized in that way very much. It's something we've talked about a lot, and that could open up the paint for Randall. But Jackson also likes to get into the paint, and Randall, you know, he'll shoot some of these slingshot off the shoulder threes on occasion but you know still not really a threat out there it just isn't going to set up out there that much either and i'm sure that uh, jb bickerstaff is not going to be encouraging him to space the floor either uh and that takes me to the next question here is bickerstaff in the hot seat no we haven't heard anything about this sean sweeney that's a, a funny name actually uh just because that's uh the name of the the coach in detroit he used to be at the box i think but uh assistant coach of course like should Bickerstaff be in the hot seat? Yeah, I, I think probably. Uh, you know, I mean, the, I'm not sure what he's really added. They were defending really well at first, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, they're still seventh in defensive rating, and that that is impressive. But I don't think he's you know, when, especially offensively, you don't really see Memphis do stuff and go, oh man, that's that's really impressive. And then defensively, they have they've had all these long defenders. I'm not watching them tactically or you know saying like, oh, there's some there's really some brilliance here. So. I mean, Bickerstaff should have never had the seat to begin with. So 
sure he he could be on the hot seat, but since we haven't heard anything, he's under contract for I believe another couple of years. Yeah. So at a no, cheap I, price, I doubt that he is. And, and this team, yeah, especially is about to. They're going to try and make this team real cheap now. So, uh, yeah, one one could imagine. And so I'll go to to Mo's question. I, I like this one. So he asked. I assume it's a he. I apologize if it's not. Who of the following three would fit best with Jaron Jackson, Marco Fultz, Dante Exum, or Frank Nokina? My answer is Frank because Frank doesn't have to be as on ball as much, and I don't think either of them is the answer at point guard, primary ball handler, whatever term you want to use. So since he fits best in different systems, that makes Frank the best fit. Also defensively, the two of them together could be pretty nasty. I, I've liked Frank as a defender going back to the international film we watched of him as a prospect. And Fultz and Exum are more single position guys. You know, Exum is 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 tall and skinny, and so he can dance a little bit, but Frank can defend twos, I think, totally fine. So I'm going with him. I like Fultz. I think Jackson as a stretch five, as someone who can run pick and pop, that actually really helps Fultz, assuming that his jumper never gets back to, you know, really bombing it from three. But uh, we talked about how having a pick and pop five can really help with point guards who can get to the basket. And so I, I think it would be Fultz, you know, assuming Fultz can recover some kind of a jump shot. All right, we're out of time, but, but their fundamentals 21 and 33. Two and nine since we last checked in on them. Negative 3.6 net rating is 25th in the NBA. How the mighty have fallen there. They have the 29th ranked offense and that seventh ranked defense. They project for 35 wins, which would be a putrid 14th in the Western Conference and contending for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about their pick thing, but we can do that on a future. We'll have we'll have other things that we need to talk about with Memphis. So I'll oh, save yeah. that for another D- time. Don't worry. It's going to be all pr- pick protection all the time after the trade deadline. Yes. For sure. Speaking, speaking of picks and possible protections, the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are 27 and 26, 4 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. Slightly positive net rating puts them 15th. They're 21st in offense and an impressive 9th in defense. 538 projects them to win 41 games, which would put them just out of the playoffs. I think they would fall behind the Clippers by like one game. Yeah, the Clippers are at 43, so they'd be two games out of the playoffs, which would be crushing. And 538 gives them a 28% chance of making the playoffs. We talked a lot about the Anthony Davis thing. The only thing I want to add in is the reporting from Woj and Ramona Shelburne since we've been recording this podcast that basically the Pelicans, in order to even consider a Lakers offer, want and need to be bowled over. So that could mean a bunch of picks, could mean a stronger offer, and that's not a surprise. I mean, there's the weight of trading him to a major market team, the animosity with the the Lakers just trying to kind of bully their way into this, not knowing what the Celtics are. So I think it's the right decision anyway, but even if it, even if it were more of an emotional thing, I totally get this from their perspective. Yeah, and I mean, they got to overcome the Pelicans' FOMO on the Celtics' offer, which in some ways is probably the specter of what the Celtics possibly could offer is almost better than maybe even what a real Celtics offer would be that was as in hand right now. In some ways, it's got to be frustrating for the Lakers to just have to compete with this putative Celtics offer. You don't even know what it is, although, of course, the Celtics could beat any Lakers offer ultimately. And the point has been made that, oh, if the Celtics don't throw in Tatum, then this Lakers offer is actually better. What the hell are you talking about? 
Jalen Brown, to me, is a better asset than any of these Lakers guys. Yeah, I know he's had some struggles this year, but as we said earlier in the show, he's reached much higher heights than any of these other guys. And the Celtics have that Memphis pick. I would say that either Brown or the Memphis pick is a better single asset than anything that the Lakers can throw in. And then the Celtics have two extra picks uh, as well. You know, we'll see what happens with this Clippers pick and also the Sacramento pick as well. You know, I mean, the Kings could still miss the playoffs. They they could, you know, that's probably going to be a lottery pick as well. You know, that's a better pick than any of those Lakers picks that can be offered. You know, that pick, that's probably worth more than Lonzo Ball. Nah, probably not worth more than Kyle Kuzma or Brandon Ingram, but, you know, it depends on what you think of those guys. This isn't supposed to be the greatest draft in the world. And then they also have, I mean, they could throw in their own first rounders as well going forward, which, you know, probably have about the same value as any Lakers first rounders going forward. I mean, both those teams look to be pretty good regardless. So, no, uh, the Celtics could still easily have the best offer, even if they don't include Tatum. And so that is going to be a very interesting fight if it does get to that point in the summer as the Pels try to get them to include Tatum. So we also should probably discuss the reports that after the Lakers lost son LeBron James, who is on load management, coming back from that groin injury. Part of the reason his load needed to be managed is because he played 40 minutes in his first game back, although it did go into overtime. But supposedly there was a confrontation of reports indicated varying severity with Michael Beasley, JaVale, who else am I forgetting? Lance may or may not have been involved. More reliable reporting probably indicated that he wasn't. I, I think those are the primary. Was Hart, Hart was in there too, maybe? Maybe, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. And so that ties in with the question that I added in of did Magic and Palenka set up this chemistry powder keg on purpose? And my answer to that will be no. But I do, th- I don't, so I don't think they, you know, put all these role players. So I, I made a snarky tweet after the Warriors game about how, you know, who could have seen that these guys, not only because they're combustible players, but because their role was going to change dramatically yeah. over the course of the and, season. And because like, they're not that good. They, like we talked right. about how they shouldn't be playing uh, and the young guys should. And, m- and if Lonzo weren't hurt yeah. or, and Rondo had been healthy, Rondo could have been involved in this kerfuffle as well. Like there are a lot of different ways this could have gone. And that's one of my criticisms of what Magic and Planka did this year was that they they spent all this money on all these resources on guys that just never really made much sense. So I don't think they did it to like you know the conspiracy theory of they're trying they were trying to make life harder or sabotage Luke Walton. But I do think that what they valued in free agents was a mistake, and that they opened the door for this type of a problem. All right, let's hit some questions real quick. How would you evaluate Magic and Palinka's ability to evaluate players? So far, I thought that they have done pretty well in the draft. Hart was good. Kuzma, obviously, was good. You know, even Svi and Bonga have shown something you know, as second-rounders in this last year. So that's been solid. You know, I thought the KCP signing, despite the whole, oh, they're just doing it for LeBron, you know, those he, he's still been a solid enough signing for them. But obviously, the free agent signings this year did not work out. Although, even though I think some of those guys, JaVale actually was a good signing. You know, they've gotten good production from him, even if he's going to fall off the rest of the year. I mean, he's, he's been a starting level of contributor for them for the minimum. That's pretty good. But 
Beasley has just w- wasn't what this team needed and just wasn't even playing. I mean, that's a, just a huge opportunity cost to pay the, a guy $3.5 million, I think is what it was. Lance as well. I mean, that's $7 million of guys who just, you know, are basically not valuable on this team when LeBron is healthy. I do think so much of what is going on with this team, though, has just occurred because LeBron James was hurt for a month. I mean, things were actually going fine before he got hurt. I mean, they were looking like at one point they were my pick to be the second best team in the West in the playoffs. And that's still not impossible. And Houston has played better. Denver has sustained. OKC has looked good. But, you know, I, I mean, we'll see how these guys look when LeBron is really back and playing regularly. But and who they end up getting in the bio market, et cetera. But, you know, I think this actually could end up going fine eventually. So I think it, there is a little bit too much doom and gloom about the job that they've done. But still, you know, they they wasted some cash on some of these guys. And Rondo, I mean, he's been injured, so tough to evaluate. His signing, I don't think that they've really missed him much when he's been out, though. Although I think when healthy, he's looked a little better than I thought he would. I want to mention two other guys that I think are a part of this picture. They cut Thomas Bryant. And while I agreed with that at the time, he's having a pretty damn good year in Washington. It's another reminder of just how replaceable centers can be. And maybe they did miss something in him. And then also, I saw Mo Wagner in person, you know, in that that Warriors game. And th- there is a player in there that I find compelling. You know, his he's feisty. His he, He's more active defensively. I still don't, you know, love the physical tools there. But drafting him at 25 especially when you consider where the league is going what this team needs over any number of different players i mean having a shooter like shamit next to lebron and and well i i didn't know shamit's game well enough beforehand of more of a physical talent like robert williams or mitchell robinson i i just feel like that that was a rare misread for them in that late first early second area yeah there's not that many guys drafted after him that, that were that sexy i mean shamit was considered a reach at that point Williams, I think, you know, could have been nice, but they've gotten that same stuff from JaVale. And, you know, Williams has been in and out of the lineup and had his own uh, character concerns. Omari Spellman, you know, I, I mean, I like what he's done more than Wagner, but those are somewhat similar players. You know, the point guards that were drafted early in the second, Melvin Frazier hasn't really played. I mean, really, you'd have to go down to Mitchell Robinson to me to find someone who was like, oh, man that he clearly would have been better than Wagner. I agree with you that Wagner, you know, I didn't like the pick at the time due to just the type of player that he is, maybe not just how well he actually fulfills what he's supposed to be. So I'm just not sure there was that much there. You know, Bruce Brown, are, are we talking about him now at 42? You know, Jared Vanderbilt, Rudy Kurix, you know, maybe they could have gone there, but that's that's way down the list. Uh, all right, let's move on to the LA Clippers. 29 and 25 but five and six since the last 15 and 60 they are falling into looking you know like they're fighting for the eighth seed they were looking like they could be a little earlier in the rundown of those west playoff teams 0.1 net rating that's actually 18th in the nba 12th in offense that is down and the 21st ranked defense they project for 43 wins which would net them the eighth seed and 51 percent chance of the playoffs they desperately need the return of Daniel Gallinari, which may happen on Tuesday off of those lower back issues. Where do you want to start with these guys? Let's start with a Gallo-centric question from Nicholas Jensen. Shouldn't the Clippers be shopping Gallinari? And I would say you listen, but you're not necessarily shopping him hard. And the reason behind that is 
I'm not completely sure that the Clippers are going to use up double max space. I mean, especially with the Knicks clearing that space now, it's possible that the Clippers do, but Gallinari, even with this recent absence, he's done enough that I think if you don't fill those other spots, you might be happy to have him on that contract next year. So then if somebody gives you a worthwhile package, you certainly you consider it and you go through it there. But I don't think there's much urgency here unless they are really optimistic. And I'm fine with being cautiously optimistic there instead of being, you know, as aggressive as the Knicks have been. His value is probably the highest it's ever going to be right now. He could get injured, something that impacts him for next year. He could just not play as well. The shine could come off them. They might just not make the playoffs. But, I mean, who knows what happens to them. I assume they would like to win some games next year, even if they don't get these two max free agents they're looking for. And then Tobias Harris could always leave, too. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, Gallo would be really important if Tobias Harris left. If you re-sign him or you get some other wings, then, yeah, you know, you can always move him or you know, absolute worst case scenario, stretch him where he'd be a, a, about $7 million over the next three seasons. So I agree with you. I mean, I'm not sure what they're going to get for him that's going to be so fantastic. And then you're probably kissing goodbye any chance of making the playoffs if he doesn't play the rest of the year as well. Thoughts on Jerome Robinson's first extended minutes. I've liked what I've seen from him. Bombing coming off of screens. You know, that's uh, something that might look good. I didn't, the games that I've seen him, he hasn't contributed a ton in other areas. So the shots look good. I, you know, I think he's projectable there. I haven't seen a ton else from him at this point. Uh, what else we got here? A question from Alfredo Chicken. Should the Clippers answer calls about Shea? They should answer him. Sure. I mean, you see, you see what people are talking about. I worry. You've used the word scalability before with Shea. I like his game but I don't know that he is like the backcourt option for a very good team. You know, he, he can create, I like, I, I like a lot of what he does, but the idea that he can become this, you know, like, a, like, let's say an all NBA player, if we're going to draw the threshold there, I think that's a lot to ask for Shea. And so if somebody else is valuing him as that being either a serious possibility or a certainty, then yeah, you listen, you listen to it, but guards are a hard thing to get. And so even if he's imperfect, they should try to keep it. Yeah. I think, Unless he's part of a package for a huge star right now, you know, if you could get him in an Anthony Davis package or something, then yeah, you know, you'd love you'd love to do that. But I think even with him, they're not realistically in the running. Although I I wouldn't argue with someone who says he's they like him more than any of those Lakers players individually. You know, there's not a ton else to throw in with him, especially with the Clippers future first round picks they make the playoffs this year going to boston so yeah you answer calls but unless it's a trade for a superstar i i wouldn't be excited to put his name into talks and perhaps if they do sign a couple of max guys i mean he will be valuable if you could start for them on that low salary but as you mentioned the scalability is not there in terms of being able to be an off-ball player so, and then another question, what do you make of his recent struggles? Is there reason for concern? Yeah, there's reason for concern if you were going absolutely nuts about him at the start of the year. But I think there's, and I think, you know, defensively, he's been more than expected. But yeah, there's not a lot of versatility to his game right now. I mean, that Clippers starting unit has really, really struggled. You know, they've tried changing up the center a, a little bit there. But, you know, he certainly, he's, He's a rookie point guard. He's not going to be able to be your number one option with the ball in his hands right now. And 
you know, you can go under on him. He just has a very kind of slow, deliberate game where he can get to his spots and can drive and get those extension finishes. But that's not something, you know, he's not just exploding in the basket and forcing guys to help. He's not forcing teams to guard him way out on the floor, opening things up for other people there. So, and I think if you just put a little more size on him, you're going to be in pretty decent shape as far as, you know, guarding that mid-ranger. So, no, I mean, he's he's not ready yet to really be a quality starter, but I, I didn't believe that about him coming in. He's a rookie point guard. That was never going to be the case. And, you know, I, th- I still think that he projects as more of a, you know, a solid starter type of player going forward than, you know, a real future star. That's my opinion. Um, if you felt like he's going to be a superstar or a big star going forward, then yeah, maybe these struggles would concern you. But I'm not as concerned because I, I don't think I was as over the moon about him to begin with. So it's out there. His overall stats for January, 16 games played, started all 16 of those. 48% true shooting on 20% usage, 19% from three. But when you only take 27 threes in a month, you know, each individual and, one. And it doesn't look difference. good. It looks hitchy. He's not no, getting it, it doesn't. off. It takes him forever to get it off. It's a, it's a major problem in this game right now. Yeah, and nine points a game, 3.4 assists per game. The 3.4 assists is actually higher than the previous two months. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are reasons to think that his overall offensive game is you know, it might not be as, as rosy as it was in the beginning of the year. At least right now, he can get a lot better. Remember, this is his age 20 season. So there's a lot a lot more growth that can happen here. But yeah, I mean, you can, if you, as you said, if you think there. Question from Hima Oza, Ozazua. Should Lou or Trez be starting? So they have started Montrez Harrell at, at moments over the last little while. I, I think he started their last game when I was watching. And... With Lou, when they have their full complement of players, I would not be starting Lou Williams. But when Gallo is out, which hopefully he's coming back soon, in that circumstance, I think you could use a little bit more. And maybe you start Lou at that point, if only just to see how those lineups work, you know, play Lou. And I, so I should, I might as well say this in my head, what I call Shea is Sega because it's SGA, but you can't really, you can't say that. So I just, that's what I call him in my head. I might not use it on the pod, but that's what it is. So if you want to use it, you can. And I would like to see those guys play together, but a lot of coaches value the continuity of just kind of keeping guys in their roles. So yeah, Lou would be better than Avery Bradley. I've talked before about how I think he's been very a very negative player overall for this team, and I wish Doc played him less. So you consider it, but once once Gallo gets back, you want the ball in you know that Gallo Harris. Sega Troika, I think you want the ball in their hands more, and then Lou can do his thing on the second unit and then close games when he's hot. Yeah, Avery Bradley is third on this team in minutes per game, and he started all 48 games he's been available for, and he's shooting 38% from the field. Yeah. Oh, I thought you I thought you were going to turn to this, and he's also 481 out of 496 players in, in PIPF on a potential playoff team. Yeah, and Trez, I mean, he only plays 26 minutes a game, Granted, part of that is, you know, his style. I think he is a real high-energy guy. And defensively, you know, I'm not sure that he's a plus, especially with his defensive rebounding issues. And you combine him in that starting lineup with Harris and Gallo, and you're, you know, you're probably never going to get a rebound. And especially if you threw Lou Williams out there, too. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the, the problem is just this team has a lot of guys who have big weaknesses and big strengths in their game. And so mixing and matching them is difficult and and the fit of Shea and Lou Williams together kind of the idea of Shea is well we're going to give him some reps 
running pick and roll. And so if you do that, then, you know, Lou Williams is kind of wasted. And if you're going to give Lou Williams the ball and pick and roll, then Shea's going to clog things up. All right, let's move on to Houston, 31 and 22, 6 and 4 in the last 15 and 60. 1.4 net rating is 13th in the NBA, 4th on offense, but a pretty miserable 26th on defense. That's where Chris Paul has really made the bigger difference when he's been available. They've actually suffered offensively, particularly when Harden and Paul play together so far this year. I don't know whether that's just noise or not yet. Clint Capella on track per Tim McMahon to return right after the All-Star break. And Chris Paul will not play in back-to-backs for the rest of the season, most likely, per Mike D'Antoni. First question from TC. Houston needs more size and length. Would Julius Randle be a good fit? I do not believe so. Uh, He's not going to help their defensive problems. He could fit into their switching. But if he's going to be a center, he's not like an unbelievable pick-and-roll player offensively. I do like that he could do maybe some isolations. He could fit well on their second unit with spacing around him to try to bludgeon in the post and go to work. But I don't see him as that big of an upgrade over, say, what Farid or Capella is giving them. And he's got to play center on this team. So I would focus. I mean, yeah, if you want to sign him up for free, go ahead. But he wouldn't start for these guys. And, you know, that's going to be Capella, who's much better on defense and and is a better pick-and-roll player than Randall is. And so, yeah, I don't think they really need that much scoring off the bench when everyone is healthy. So, I, I mean, I think actually Nikola Mirotic would be a much better fit uh, than Randall is uh, on this team. Uh, and well, and beyond the, all yeah, that, something I want to bring up with this is the Rockets don't have that much of a need for another center. Like, I, I was yeah. a contributor on a piece Kelly Eco wrote for the Athletic Houston, and DeAndre Jordan is certainly, I mean, his talent level and guys like him don't usually hit the buyout market. He's Houston native. Maybe that's a different thing because because of his talent. But Houston doesn't have that big of a need for another center because they have Capella. And even though last year might be, you know, the aberration in terms of overall value, he was awesome last year. Maybe he's a step down from that overall. But P.J. Tucker at center, even with their limited wing depth, I mean, I think that just gives them more dimensions. And DeAndre doesn't really fit in with their identity. And so, if, you know, if you can get guys theoretically of that ilk and they already got Kenneth Fareed, that's not where they should be devoting the resources. Remember that Houston has a meaningful portion of their mid-level left. To me, if that becomes available, you use that as an advantage for a wing. You know, whether it's Wes Matthews or whoever else, that's where you need depth and not at center. By the way, also, Randall really doesn't have any length. You know, he's not a shot blocker. That was one of the. It's a fair point. That was the one thing in his physical profile uh, that didn't really fit well i mean i think he could help on the boards you know the defensive rebounding is still an issue but again you know they're only going to play one guy who can't shoot a three-pointer on this team thoughts on the jermichael green interest by the rockets according to jonathan fagan yeah i mean that's i think it makes a lot of sense both financially especially if they can get the grizz to take back night get jermichael green and temple and cut money for next year while also getting guys who can contribute this year you know green's not an amazing fit you know i think he's declined a little bit athletically he struggled to stay healthy with a lot of lower body injuries and you know his three-point shooting he's shot the ball well in individual seasons at times for three but he's not a high volume guy maybe that's something that they could really help you know having him and james ennis on the same team again you know ennis really hasn't been able to shoot the three there was a hope that he could be more projectable from three so you know, maybe there's a reason why Green doesn't shoot that many, even though he shoots a, an okay percentage sometimes. Uh, but no, I mean, I think uh, there might be targets out there. You know, we mentioned Miritich, who would fit better. You know, I like him a lot better than Green. 
but the Rockets need to get better on defense. They need more toughness. Uh, Green can uh, provide uh, some athleticism for them, uh, some force, uh, and you know would be a nice fit in their switching system. So I think he he makes a lot of sense there to me. It's just a question of whether Memphis you know believes that Houston's first rounder plus night is enough. Uh, you know, do they want to take on that extra salary? We'll see here. And, and what other offers are going to be out there for those guys? Yeah, I'm not the biggest Jermichael Green fan. I mean, w- when his shot is going, it's nice, but it it's more of a you know. It, to me, I I've never really trusted his jump shot, just personally. And he's had a couple of, a couple of nice years, as you said. But we can move on to the question from Will: How do the Rockets address Chris Paul's decline in future years? It is very very difficult because Houston does not have a great asset base. Like this is one of the differences. I mean, there are many between them and let's say the Boston Celtics. So like. Boston has all these other things that they can do. They can throw at the wall and maybe it's throw them into Anthony Davis trade or something else. Houston, they have their own picks, which aren't super valuable because they're a very good team. And their young talent development hasn't really borne much fruit. I mean, Hartenstein, not really inspiring much. You know, Gary Clark has a partial guarantee for next year. Joe Chi is already gone, you know, so you already have that. And Marquise Chris didn't have a good year. So it's hard for me to think of how they're going to get significantly better and then if you want to compound that with Tillman Fertitta's apparent reluctance to go as deep into the tax as they could or necessarily need to to bolster their overall talent level I mean losing Ariza losing Mbamute having those guys around even though they aren't you know comparable players Chris Paul and everything it would just help their overall defense talked about how they're 26th in the league right now those are the ways that you combat it it's not like a single player because they don't have assets to get that guy They've survived offensively remarkably well with just hard taking on basically the largest offensive load in NBA history. And certainly with this level of efficiency, it's been absolutely remarkable what he's done. But he shouldn't have to have this big of a load either. You know, and that's something they have to be wary of with in trying to protect Paul. You know, I think they've found with this whole back to back sitting out thing that, you know, there's not that big of a drop off when he's gone out this year. And so the priority is getting him back to where he can really contribute but i think going forward you know especially during the regular season he's got to just be on kind of the john stockton minutes plan as he went later into his career but modernized for the fact that it's even more difficult to contribute in big minutes in today's nba but they've got to get this thing called a backup point guard (laughs) which you know i mean i guess that was supposed to be bright at night this year i don't know i mean they really just have not had Anything available, anyone else on this team, you know, maybe Eric Gordon on occasion, maybe Austin Rivers on occasion, but someone who can actually pass the ball a little bit, you know, and they'd have to spend some money on that. Maybe that's uh, the taxpayer mid-level in future seasons if they uh, decide that they can scrape together the cash to do that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just having the depth and just hope that he can recover somewhat really made him great. And, you know, I think they need to find ways with him on the floor, especially when Harden is off to not make him be this isolationist, to try to find ways to get him into pick and roll. And maybe the player to pair him with is like a really good post-up center. You know, that's maybe that's how you can prevent that pick and roll switch, which, you know, Houston really has not done much at posting up, but maybe you just need that with Chris Paul now because, so he can get into the lane and operate. Otherwise teams are just going to switch him. And he, I mean, he's a six foot, 34 year old point guard like he's not gonna have the juice to beat guys one-on-one off the dribble all the time that wasn't really his game other than last year throughout most of his career and 
you know, those are those kind of plays that take a crap load of energy and are going to fatigue him or potentially cause him to get injured as well. All right, Golden State, 37 and 15, 8 and 1. Uh, they had a ugly loss to the Sixers, although Clay Thompson didn't play. And actually, I mean, it really seems like they struggle whenever Clay is out, uh, that just not having that extra shooter that you can't leave actually really does gum things up uh, for them uh, a lot. But they are second. Well, yeah, wait, let ahead. me add in something there. They also really missed him defensively against the Sixers specifically because Clay Thompson's the guy who chases J.J. Redick around for the entire game. And Kerr bounced it around a little bit, but he mostly used Steph Curry for that. And there are a whole bunch of problems there, one being foul trouble, fatigue, all those sorts of things. And because they are so they were so scared of putting McKinney on any challenging defensive assignment because he's just not that guy. Despite being a physical talent, he's just not as it, that doesn't apply to him as a defensive player really broadly, but especially as a one on one defender who has to move his feet. So, yeah, they, they miss him a lot. But I, I can't believe I interrupted you from doing their fundamentals. Second in net rating, first in offense, 10th in defense, uh, projected for 61 wins, which is best in the West by a pretty decent margin and also tied, I believe, with Milwaukee for best in the league right now, which is something we'll keep an eye on because they're going to make the playoffs. I'm interested in your answer because I've already been thinking about this a lot. For a question from Holly, who are the best buyout fits for Golden State? Not a center. I think I'm pretty worried about Alfonso McKinney in the playoffs defensively, especially if he has to go against Houston. I don't trust the jump shot. He does provide some really good energy uh, on the glass and as a finisher, but I think that's a spot in the rotation that could really stand to be upgraded. Sean Livingston as well, you know, has been very hit or miss. This season, you know, not sure how much he can be relied on. So, I mean, I'm sure they would love to get Wes Matthews. You know, they don't have the firepower to do that in terms of money the way some of these other teams do. But, I mean, he would be the number one guy that I would be targeting if I were them. Um, and, you know, I don't know if he would want to, you know, I mean, they've got 20 minutes a game to give him. He would be better than Livingston or McKinney. Those guys are going to play 20 minutes combined. Um, who who uh, came to mind for you? Wes is my number one. They really don't need a center. I mean, and th- it's crazy because some of the centers that could hit the buyout market have connections with the franchise. Remember, the Warriors cut Jeremy Lin in the first place. I, If you ever want to go back, one of the angriest pieces I've ever written was about that decision. That was to clear a little bit of extra money for DeAndre Jordan, who I believe was a Bob Myers client. So there is a little bit there, but they have no real need for a center. Their combination of Draymond, who should be their main center in the playoffs, DeMarcus Cousins and Looney slash Bell. You know, it's more than enough there. They would love for Trevor Brees to hit the buyout market. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, the problem with him ending up in, in Washington is that Ernie Grunfeld and Ted Leonsis, that's not the way they think. And even if it, you know, like, so I think they would just rather have Ariza on the roster for the rest of the season than cut him. I mean, this, you brought up something that I think is, is another way that they could consider this, and it would depend on when these guys, who hits the market. But I think it would be smart for them to go after a point guard. They don't really trust Quinn Cook, it doesn't appear to me. I mean, he's been in and out of the rotation. Sean Livingston at this point is basically a two, maybe even a three. Like, that's just what he is offensively, defensively. They don't really tr- give him much to run the offense. They have all these other guys to do that. So you could make that system work with a guy who's not point guard sized, but having another guy who can actually create offense, even if it's kind of microwavy, would actually be a good thing for them to have as a break glass in case of emergency. I, I so, disagree with you, especially with Cousins healthy now. I mean, they've got uh, enough guys, I think, that can, can create a shot. I mean, and what 
point guard is going to be available that won't be as big of a defensive liability as Quinn Cook. I just, it's possible. I just don't know who the buyouts are going to be because we know the wing is so narrow that if for whatever reason a guy becomes available, yeah, you know, I, I don't I think they don't should know turn who him that down. would be who would be better than Cook uh, as I'm looking at the list right now. So, um, another one that came to mind for me, you know, I could see possibly Justin Holiday getting bought out. I could see. Oh, Garrett, Te- Garrett yeah, Temple. That's another one too. I mean, it's just kind of, we don't know who's going to get traded and who's going to get bought out quite yet. I mean, you could see guys get aggregated together. Um, whoever the Sixers don't get. Yeah. No, I mean, that's right. I mean, I think West, the Sixers have the room exception and a lot more playing time to offer someone like Wes Matthews. So I'm not sure that they're going to get a difference maker regardless here. Um, let's see who's better right now, Katie or Steph. I think it's Steph. I mean, Durant does, is a better defender, but he's also, especially in the regular season, he doesn't really apply it that often. And Curry is the system offensively. Now Durant did better running the show, you know, being the lead guy this year in Curry's absence than he has in previous years. But when Steph Curry's on the floor, this is an elite offense. They were that way before they had Kevin Durant, they'll be that way after if should he leave. So for me, it's Steph Curry. But I mean, you can't go wrong with either guy. Yeah, KD is a little more consistent, I would say. I mean, he doesn't have these like absolute stinkers in my mind. He gets to the foul line more reliably also. But yeah, I think the effect that Steph has on this offense still is pretty clear. Although I, I do think that KD has had by far his best year with Steph being off. And, you know, part of that is because they're able to find some more shooting around him than they have in previous years. Um, assuming KD and Clay resign, well, this will be the last one. Should the Warriors keep Livingston's contract for next year? It's about $2 million guaranteed out of the $8 million. No, absolutely not. Uh, I Even if KD leaves, it, it would surprise me if they hold on to Livingston. I mean, that that $2 million guarantee, like he's just not that level of player. And, you know, that extra $6 million, yeah, they would have the tax pyramid level available anyway. But it would be impossible to justify that expenditure, you know, of, I mean, this next year is what the first year of the repeater tax, right? So, I mean, you're probably looking at minimum an extra like 25 million bucks to keep him. Like, no way. And while Lakeup said in an interview with Tim Kalkami, available at The Athletic, that he, you know, the whole like, I'm willing to spend whatever it takes. And Livingston has equity with the team. He's been a part of, of this great success. That's too much. It, it, you know the 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 value added there is very limited, and even even though it is theoretically depending on where the Warriors are, just owner money, that is still a consideration. Peter Heath, we can do this one quickly. How exploitable is Demarcus Cousins on defense? I think he's pretty damn exploitable. I mean, he he's competing, but a lot of the effort we're seeing from Cousins is more like running the floor on offense, which is a little bit different. And I focus on potential points of failure or points of attack and. Considering the other options on the interior, you know, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Iguodala, depending on what lineups they're throwing out there, he's the easiest guy to attack. We're seeing teams do it a lot. So, yeah, might as well. Denver, 37-16. and 16. Mike Malone will coach the All-Star game, which there's a, a hilarious Steph Curry video of the Warriors coaches watching Denver win their game at the last second that clinched the best record for Mike Malone so the Warriors coaches would get the all-star game off instead of having to go and coach it uh he's his stuff made fun of them watching it like it was game seven of, of the finals but it, I'm sure Mike Malone and Denver fans are, are very happy for them although they are now a half game behind the Warriors with their loss today 
eight and three since the last 15 and 60 continue to chug right along six in net rating at plus 5.1 second in offense wow that was that's come out of nowhere for them to be second all of a sudden they've really been steamrolling forward but the defense has been in free fall it is long time ago since uh they were second in defense i think that was lasted all the way through november uh so i mean they've really been in the 20s since then and i think that's more accurate for what they are granted Millsap has missed part of that time uh but they project for 55 wins i would be second in the conference 99 percent chance at the playoffs they have had some injury concerns jamal murray has missed his last six including that loss in detroit but should be back soon uh, in theory we'll see whether that's before or after the all-star game gary harris i mean yet another muscle injury for him whether it's the hamstring whether it's the adductor this time a right adductor strain just has not been able to get healthy with the, this team let's start with this question uh from omar wenceslau and i apologize i don't think i got that one right last year you said you preferred utah's long-term future over denver's is that still true uh yeah that's really interesting we have to see if utah i mean i guess we'll, it's a question of what long term is i think donovan mitchell has looked better you know rudy gobert is still really good you know i'd say if you're ranking the long-term assets, it's probably Jokic, Gobert, Mitchell, Murray. Is, is that how you would do it, Danny? Yeah, probably. I mean, I love Jamal, but he needs to prove it a little bit more. He's also you know, like, it's that's tough. It's real tough. Yeah, but yeah, very maybe close something between like Mitchell and Murray. But, but so yeah, but I'll, I'll answer for. So I think the question was phrased to you because I believe that I I don't recall ever saying something of that sort myself. But the reason I would go with Denver at this point is because of their depth. Yeah, they have you know Malik Beasley's having a really nice year. Monte Morris is having a really nice year. They have Michael Porter Jr. who's not even playing yet, and but I mean yeah, we both Jared love Vanderbilt his potential. Too. I mean like Jared the Vanderbilt. Jazz, I really like the Jazz. Don't have anybody really. I mean outside of. You know, Dante Exum has been injured. He hasn't really developed. Uh, you know, I mean, who's the their third best long-term asset on this team? Is that Royce O'Neal? Is that uh, Grayson Allen? You know, I mean, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Tony Bradley, another draft pick that hasn't developed. Uh, they, they really, and you know, Denver, I mean, once you get through those top four, you know, I think it's pretty close between Mitchell Gobert versus Murray Jokic. But then Denver's got Gary Harris. They've got those two young guys you mentioned. I mean, Will Barton is still pretty young. He's under contract Wancho. for a while. Uh, yes. Who are you saying? Sorry. Wancho. They have, yeah. I would say the next probably five to six guys after those first four are all nuggets. Malik Beasley has been awesome. He's, I mean, yeah, Malik Beasley absolutely. had 35 the other night. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, and he's been better defensively than I anticipated. But yeah, he's been an absolute spark plug offensively I, too. I mean, he's starting to get people to say like, you know, is he better than Gary Harris? <laughs> I mean, like, well, I mean, I, I remember so because I've been doing these tears pods with Matt Moore, you know, every couple months for Real Jam Radio. And he mentioned in passing, I don't remember whether it was on the pod or, or, or whether we were, it was off air. He, this was like two months, two, three months ago. He was like, Gary Harris might be the best, you know, best perimeter player they have other than I mean, Malik Beasley might be the best other than Jamal and and Gary Harris and I was like wow like at that point we hadn't really seen much from him but he's been he's been great does Denver have the most compelling assets outside of Boston for AD and I think Denver and Boston are in much different situations number one I think 
AD as the center. They have Jokic. I, I think just even if you want to say that AD is a power forward, having your two best players, best offensive players, both be traditional bigs is just you're just never going to be able to get the most out of them. Yeah, you can stagger them and all that. And I think, you know, the Pels provided a decent model for doing that last year with DeMarcus and AD, but you're still going to just have, you're getting going to get 80% of the impact to both of those guys on the offense. But now defensively, AD, I think would be fantastic. Although AD would probably have to guard a perimeter player and, you know, you're not necessarily going to love that either if he's playing with Jokic. So the fit there is a little tough. Now you're giving up, obviously, Jamal Murray's got to be in that deal. Uh, some future first-rounders. The Nuggets are already out their first-rounder this year. Although, apparently, all you have to do is trade a first-rounder to the Nets, and you're going to finish in, like, the top two in your conference. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Toronto did that last year, too, in a salary dump. But uh, I think, and then, you know, Denver has never been talked about as a place that people want to stay, you know, in contrast to Boston, for whatever reason. I think that's unfair. I happen to love the city of Denver. But uh, NBA players aren't really allowed to go skiing under their contracts, so that maybe that's part of it. Uh, same thing with Utah there. So can Denver really, you know, they've got a bright future now, probably being a solid playoff team for the next, like, five or six years at least with this core. Can you really throw Jamal Murray in for what would be a year and a half, almost certainly, of AD? You know, I'm, I'm not sure that you can, whereas, you know, Den- uh, a team like Boston might feel more confident about doing that. And, and I'm not sure that Denver is a championship contender with AD where I think Boston absolutely is just due to the superior fit that AD would be coming into. I, I just think, as you said, it's, it's a hard trade to make as Denver because. Oh, oh, and by the way, right. I don't know if uh, I mean, maybe their opinions changed, but this is the same New Orleans management that passed over Jamal Murray for Jamal Buddy Jamal Murray Hill. to take Buddy Healed. Yeah, it's true. Who, who Same group. has been solid, but you know, also is twenty six, and you know, is not Jamal Murray as a prospect. Question from Stephen Phil: Are there any realistic defensive wings for the Nuggets to go after? Remember that they have uh, some big trade exceptions, and they have a little wiggle room. That's what I did in the mock deadline was get them Rodney Magruder. I think Magruder would be a really fascinating fit, and probably better than what they'll end up doing, but. Those guys, you know, the players who are good enough offensively to stay on the floor are that are also good defensive wings, either cost more money than Denver is going to have or are going to go somewhere else, you know, if they're a buyout type of guy because of all the other guys. So I think it's really tough for them to find somebody. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I still enjoy Jonathan Simmons defense potential, but he's so bad offensively that there's no point in getting him. Yeah, it's too bad that he's declined to just being like such a horrible shooter. Let's turn to Dallas now. Finish things out. 24 and 28. 4 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. Plus 0.2 net rating is 16th still in the NBA. 15th ranked offense. 14th ranked defense. That offense actually has been on the rise a little bit. Projecting for 36 wins, which would be 13th in the conference. 1% chance of making the playoffs. Tim McMahon reporting that Chris Stapps Porzingis is unlikely to play for the Mavericks this season. And then that was pretty much confirmed today in the presser. It was pretty interesting. I, I don't read a ton into this, but Chris Stapps was asked after the reporting that I think has been largely debunked at this point that he was would inform the Mavericks that he intended to sign the qualifying offer. Uh, he was asked if he uh, intended to sign a long-term deal with the Mavericks. And Mark Cuban butted in and was like, 
yes, I can answer that. Like he's, he was, we're going to offer it to him. And he's going to sign it. And then he was like, and then Chris Epps kind of confirmed that, but that was, you know, how about you let him answer the question, Mark? That was a little weird. Uh, but yeah, so he's probably not going to play, uh, which, you know, apparently is part of it. it it's interesting that there's reporting that there's friction between KP and the Knicks that he wanted to play now and the Knicks weren't going to let him now though supposedly this is in consultation with Porzingis's team perhaps part of the reason he wanted to play was to showcase himself for restricted free agency so he could get out of there and now he's okay being in Dallas and they're going to give him a good contract offer so he doesn't care as much now, that could be part of this perhaps uh so we got asked if we could elaborate on Dallas's financial status for next season. Would you uh, care to do that, Danny? Yeah, I would. I, I may end up turning this into a piece. I was actually originally the plan, which is why I had this handy. But if Harrison Barnes and Dwight Powell opt in, Dallas will have, by my, you know, counting the holds for Porzingis and DFS and Maxi Kleba, they would have about $8.3 million in cap space. And if they're only at $8.3 million in cap space, and there are ways they could clear more, you know, they could trade guys or whatever then you might as well function as an over-the-cap team because that way you get the non-taxpayer mid-level, which is $9.2 million projected by Real GM. Also, they would get the biannual, and they would also keep the about $13 million trade exception that they created in the Porzingis trade. So you need to have some actual, you know, real incentives to go really beyond that. And that could be Harrison Barnes opting out or them trading Harrison Barnes, something with Dwight Powell. And something else that I think is, is worth mentioning here is that Hardaway Jr., got a pay bump because of he had a, a 50% trade bonus that was that was included and so that is paid by the Knicks but it counts against Dallas's cap for both this season and next season be, but because Tim Hardaway Jr has a player option and trade bonuses cannot be they aren't counted towards or anything player option years he didn't get any extra money for that and it doesn't affect that number now Hardaway is probably on the margin for this type of thing, but I've said for years that if a player had a trade bonus and an option they were likely to pick up, they should pick it up before they got traded because that way they get the bonus for that extra year. And he, I, I think he should have considered it. I mean, players love to have the functionality of like, oh, maybe I can leave, but that w- that's a lot of money. Yeah, he will be a free agent in that summer of 2020, and he will probably have a chance to, to put up a numbers as the number two perimeter option now on this team interesting to think just about what their team looks like now i mean as trey burke i guess is going to start at the one is that what the plan is going to be i, I haven't really been uh, I, I think they're going to start jalen brunson actually and yeah then maybe uh, yeah that, that would make more sense he's he's part of the future better defensive player um but yeah i mean that's going to be a big need for them at point guard obviously i mean you could see maybe they bring back kleba and finney smith and you know maybe they won't even you know it'd be hardaway and Doncic with Vinny Smith, Kleba, and Porzingis. Maybe that's their starting five for next year. I think that would be a really interesting group. Also interesting is, that, I mean, they're, I don't see them wanting to take on money past 2020. You know, I think they could have, even with a Porzingis, ex, or not extension, but a new contract for him, which would probably be paying him about $30 million in the summer of 2020. They could still have about $50 million, $50 million, excuse me, in cap space and, you know, not much on the market other than Doncic, Porzingis, and Hardaway at that point so they'd have a lot of a lot of work to do and as you mentioned of course uh, that is a crappy free agent market maybe you could see them even using that 13 million dollar trade exception to take on some bad salary and hopefully fill up the coffers uh, from the draft picks uh, that they have punted here i shouldn't say punted because you know they didn't get something for them 
what else we got here from these? Let's do a couple more before we depart. Uh, I mean, this is a good one. Can Doncic or Pazingas be a championship core in the future? This is a Tulem Femme. Uh, what do you say? They're going to need a strong third, but I really like those two guys together. If Carlisle can actualize Porzingis and he can actually stay healthy, then defensively, maybe you go to a model. I mean, he could be better than this, but you can go to a model like what Milwaukee is doing with Brook Lopez this year. I mean, he's a, a talented shot blocker. Both those guys are, and I think Porzingis can do that. I don't love him as a switch guy. And then offensively gives you so much versatility. You could even roll some five out lineups. And so... I think those guys can be important parts of it, but you are going to need some real talent in that third player. All right. I think that can wrap it up here. Support for today's show comes from Sonos. Thanks again to them for helping us bring you this podcast with the Sonos Home Theater. Feel like you're at the game with 5.1 surround sound and it plays music as well. You can also enjoy hands-free control of your whole system with Sonos One which blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, so you can use your voice to control music, podcasts, and more. Just ask it. We love using uh, our Sonos, whether it's watching movies, uh, playing music, especially when we have company over. Uh, you can even group it in multiple rooms if you get more than one Sonos. When you get started with them, go to Sonos.com, S-O-N-O-S.com, to learn more and order your Sonos today.